Hey there, Dead Lovely listeners. It's your good buddies, Uncle Ben. And Hollywood Steve. And we are coming to you from the future. Chur, chur, chur. Once again, uh, we're recording this March 23rd, a week after we recorded this Psycho Goreman episode that you're about to feast your ears on. And uh, here to drop some very unfortunate news that happened in the interim period in between when we recorded Psycho Goreman and when we're coming to you today, we lost a very, very, very dear friend of ours and a part of dead and lovely history on March 20th. Our good friend Brandon Suttles passed away after battling with cancer for over a year. Cancer sucks. And um, I just felt obligated to say something about him because honestly, I, I think that without Brandon, this podcast probably wouldn't have happened because... No, I wouldn't. You know, whenever I met Brandon in college... I really wasn't into horror movies and stuff. I mean, that's the guy that showed me Nightmare on Elm Street, the entire franchise for the first time and stuff, and really jump-started my love of horror movies. So, you know, even if you didn't know Brandon, he's a big part of this show and has yeah. been a big part of my life and a extremely wonderful friend um, to both of us. And also, too, he's, you know, he's been supported by the community that we have created here with Dead and Lovely. Yep. A lot of you guys donated to his GoFundMe to help pay for his mounting medical bills and stuff. And I want you guys to know, you know, in the week before his death and the time that we got to spend together in the hospital and stuff, uh, he spoke very, very much about how much he appreciates how many just complete strangers from Dead and Lovely and everything were willing to help him out and help his family out and donate to his cause and stuff. That really, really meant the world to him, and it means a ton to me. So... If you supported Brandon in his fight with cancer, thank you very, thank you very, so very much. much. Yeah. yeah. And you guys can still help contribute to his GoFundMe page. We'll put a link to that in the podcast description and stuff because there mm -hmm. is, of course, a lot of medical debt and then also the cost for... Which is insane. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely nuts. And funeral costs and stuff like that, that stuff adds up really fast. So if you want to mm -hmm. help Brandon's... Uh, wife and kids and family and friends that he left behind, please consider making a donation today. It would absolutely mean the world to us. Also, if you want to get to know Brandon a little bit better and hear him speak about his passion for movies, because movies were absolutely his passion. I think if you knew Brandon within, you know, five minutes, you were probably talking about movies already. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we managed to get him on the show a couple of times before he passed. You can go listen to episode 174. He sat in for the entire episode in which we reviewed The Changeling, which was one of his favorite movies, which is awesome. Such a good yeah. movie. That's a great episode of the show, too. He also walks through some of his favorite horror flicks and ones he thinks you guys should watch and stuff. So be sure to give that a listen. He also dropped in on episode 183 for the preview palace section before we reviewed Psycho. Yeah. Brandon was a gigantic Hitchcock fan and he kind of gave us an education about his favorite Hitchcock flicks and the ones that we should watch and stuff on that episode. So if you want to get to know Brandon better uh, and, you know, just hang out with a really good friend of ours that has meant a lot to us, be sure to check out those episodes. But yeah, Brandon, you meant the world to us. You're one of the best friends I'll ever have. Uh, one of the nicest guys that... I've ever known and you showed me so much about movies and we had so much fun hanging out playing cards super late night going to late night sushi all kinds of stuff uh, you really made a huge impact on everybody you met everybody that guy met man I think he really did make an impact on him yeah he definitely made a huge impact on me Brandon was always just uh, 
the guy to talk to at a party. Yeah. Because uh, his his movie knowledge was just so deep. It's the, the nicest, sweetest guy in the world. I, I'm so glad that we got to have him on the show. I wish we could have had him more, but obviously... Me too. You know, it, uh, the cancer fucking sucks. It's yep. the worst. Be sure to check out that GoFundMe link in the podcast description. And before we get on, you know, with the fun, the Psycho Gorman episode we recorded here is a blast. It's a really, really fun episode. It's only uphill from here. Is that the right way to say that? It's only <laughs> going to get funnier and more silly from here, obviously. So be sure to stay tuned in for the episode because we had a ton of fun making it. And I know Brandon would have loved to listen to it as well. He loved Psycho Gorman. I think he yep. was one of the first people that I know that saw it and was just like, yeah. dude, you have to watch this movie. So <laughs> I know that he would enjoy the episode too. So before we get on with it, I'd just like to have a moment of silence in honor of Brandon Suttles, one of the best friends I'll ever have. And while we observe this moment of silence, I'm just going to encourage you guys, send a friend a text, tell them that you love them. You know, yeah. I, I think that that's one of those things that we just don't do enough. You never really know when the last time you talk to somebody will be the last time. And it's always worth checking in with the people that you care about and letting them know how much they mean to you. So while we have this moment of silence, just reach out to somebody that maybe you haven't talked to in a minute, or maybe you talk to all the time and just make their day a little bit better by telling them that you care about them. I was thinking here recently because, you know, you were telling me the other day that you've got your first COVID vaccine coming up and stuff, right? I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here recently we were talking about how after the pandemic is over, there's probably going to be like a huge baby boom worldwide, just where everybody's going out and fucking their brains out because they've been stuck inside for (laughs) a year, right? 100%. Yes. Yep. And I was thinking about this and, you know, we might not want all those pregnancies and extra kids and stuff running around so i have a feeling we're going to see an uptick in like people getting vasectomies and stuff like that mm-hmm. and you know they have like the mobile vasectomy trucks and stuff like that oh, all over they? the world now right yeah yeah they have those in japan and stuff it's just like like a mobile truck that goes around and gives you the snip snip which i think is awesome but yeah i think that we also need another solution for people that are pregnant, I'm talking about mobile abortion trucks, and I'm here today to tell you about my concept for wombs to go. <laughs> Thank you for calling wombs to go. No fetus can beat us. <laughs> no. Not possible. Not it's what the world possible. needs, man. We're going to need it here in the near future. Wombs to go. Yeah, okay. Welcome, dead and lovely listeners, to the newest installment of the only podcast. We're the only podcast in the galaxy. There That's are true. no others. You can stop no, searching. This exist. is the only one. Huh? Yeah. Here with the host with the most, it's me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. And me, Hollywood Steve. And we are here today for a really super special, awesome installment of the show. We're going to be talking about Psycho Goreman, which is a mm-hmm. movie that has become both of our obsessions since we saw it when it came out (laughs) this movie's like overtaken my life so i'm really excited to be talking about on today's show as well as having a very special 
interview portion of the Preview Palace with Martin from the band Blitz Berlin, who did the soundtrack to this mighty film. Yeah, it's uh, we already did the interview, so I can tell you it's awesome. Nailed it. Nailed so it. Uh, if you're one of those people who normally skips straight to the um, uh, movie portion, which we, we leave a, a little timestamp in the, the episode description, if that's what you're looking for. If you're normally yep. one of those people, you probably want to stick around for the interview because it is um, a good portion about uh, the the movie soundtrack. So, and it's awesome. It's a great interview. It went so well that Steve, I would just like to raise a toast to how great everything about this episode is. How about that? Yeah, that sounds great to me. We're doing stuff out of order. How about we open a code beer out of order here too, and just get straight to booze and dude. It's it's all of four fifteen <laughs> on a Tuesday afternoon. I need. An extremely heavy-duty beer, and that is what we have right here because I have bought us a couple of bottles of Prairie Artisan Ales Bomb, which is their Imperial Stout. It's aged on coffee, cacao nibs, vanilla beans, and chili peppers. I had one of these for the first time last week, and after my boner subsided, I was like, I got to get some of these for the show because I am confident that this is going to blow your mind it has like a 99 rating on like beer advocate and all these other sites so i'm excited it's apparently a big old deal now let me tell you some stuff about this here steve it is 12 percent abv yeah yeah that's a big old boy right yeah there. yeah and it is shockingly smooth deviously strong i will tell you this i predict that you'll enjoy it i have it poured out here and in a glass, and um, it looks like used motor oil. Mm-hmm. What kind of car would this run in? Do you think? No, this is this <laughs> is like a '76 a, a uh, Chevy Cheyenne. Uh, oh, very nice. That has needed an oil change for a little bit. It's it's dark as hell. That it is. I was talking with um, George over at Corks Wine and Spirits in the old city Knoxville about it, and uh, that guy knows a lot about beer and stuff. And it sounds like this is one of those stouts that was kind of like a historic bit of stout making. It's been around for quite some time. And the way that George was talking about it, it kind of made it sound like it is to stouts what, like, let's say, like Pliny is to IPAs, where it was like really one of those foundational things that inspired the boom of that style of beer. And uh, honestly, I found Pliny kind of underwhelming. Like, it's good, but I think that its its follow-ups have exceeded it. Mm-hmm. But this thing right here is still just absolutely mind-blowing. Well, I'm excited about it because uh, it looks like uh, it's got Anthony Kiedis in it. So, <laughs> Is that so? Yeah. They're chili peppers right there. <laughs> chili pepper. <laughs> looks like he's going to have a little bit of a boom ba doom 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 ba Oh, so good. It's so Ooh, rich damn. and like bittersweet. Like it's like a real good fudgy brownie. Yeah, it is. It's fudgy. Yeah, I would describe it as very fudgy. Oh man. But the thing about it is is even though it's 12% ABV, it's not really boozy, right? No. Well, you know what? That okay, so the spice is hitting me. 
and it's not like overly uh spicy it's like it's got that like chili pepper taste but i think some of that spicy is the alcohol i think like they've found a way to combine this like bitterness and the the chili pepper and that like what should be a 12 percent alcohol burn so that you, it doesn't even feel like alcohol it just feels like it feels like you got uh, uh some really fudgy brownies with cayenne pepper in there mm-hmm it's like <laughs> it's drinking awesome. a hug it's, it's so, so good, good. Yeah, because usually, like, whenever they get that boozy in stouts, they usually kind of mask it with, like, a ton of sweetness and, like, molasses flavor and stuff. And this is not sweet stuff. at all. Yeah, it's, no, it, this uh-huh. is like a, uh, this would be, like, a dark chocolate brownie. I can, okay, I bet some salt. Oh, man, if this had salted, sprinkle, yeah. salted caramel in it, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> that might not be so bad. It, this is amazing, though. I, I'm really digging it. So, yeah. way to go, Prairie. They're there from Oklahoma? Oh, is that so? Yeah, but it says on the, the bottle there. It's kind of expensive. I think each bottle is like 12 bucks or something like that. Ooh, I think you boy. can maybe get it for around like eight or so at like a total wine or somewhere. Mm. I'm going to say it's worth it. Because like if I went to a brewery and I paid eight bucks for one of these on tap, oh, yeah. I would be stoked. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's totally worth it. It makes all the sense in the world for sure. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, twelve percent too. Man, that that is like finely crafted too. It's like, yeah, as you said, like not sweets in any real way, but like still really delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great stuff. Mighty, mighty tasty. Well, Steve, I'll tell you what. Before we get into the uh, the movie and stuff like that, I gotta hear about whatever you've been watching on this week. Um, well, uh, a couple of the movies that I watched were directed uh, by uh, Stephen Kostansky, director of Psycho Gorman, and I'll, I'll talk about those when we get into the, the movie discussion, when we talk about other stuff he's done, but uh, yeah, I did rewatch Dread. I've mentioned before that I, I liked Dread, which was mm-hmm. the uh, second adaptation of the, of the Judge Dread character uh, that stars Carl Urban and his frown. And <laughs> Dread is a very frowny character, isn't he? He is. He's a very frowny character. So it, it, he nails it. Man, I still think that movie is is uh, is great. I really enjoy it. I mean, it's not like the best movie ever, and it's definitely like on a on a rewatch for me. It was like, oh, it's obvious there are a lot of scenes in here that were like really meant to be seen in 3D, but they're oh, okay, still cool. Yeah. They're still cool. And uh, Lena Hedy uh, or Hedy of Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's so fucking good in it as as Mama, as the, the main villain. And man, I, I I think it's worth a watch. It's a, like, especially, you know, because you guys uh, recently were watching, like, The Rock and uh, Gone in 60 Seconds and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Big action flicks. Yeah, big action flick like Dread, and, and like to, it's surprising it's a, a more low budget flick that hmm. still like doesn't look like it most of the time. So I think I think it's great. I, I really enjoy it. Word, man, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, you're right. Lena is an awesome actress, and she's one of those people that like I honestly am concerned for her future as an actress because she is just Cersei now, and I'm like, 
Is anybody <laughs> ever going to cast you as the fun wackadoo friend, the whimsical one in a movie, or are you always going to be evil lady? If you've ever seen her in interviews, she's so funny and, and really like, funny too. So like, but she's just like. Yeah, she's so great as like a very serious and and uh, you know Mama is also an unlikable character with a lot of power. So like she's really great at playing that role. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but she's uh, yeah, I, she I can't see her being like the the quirky best friend or something in a romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Anything else worth checking out? Um, uh, oh, I won the uh, Rookie of the Year uh, you in did NBA. It. Yeah, NBA Life. I'm so proud of you. That was me. You did it. Rookie of the Year. They said you'd never make it, man. They said I wouldn't make it, but, man, I was dishing them out. I was I was getting, you know, 18 points a game. Pretty solid. Then they, they traded away Carl Anthony Towns. Now what am I supposed to do? <laughs> These fucking Timberwolves. Anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> Did you dunk on him? I, <laughs> you know what? I made my character almost true to height. I Like, if I made him true to height, uh, I, like, the 5'11 dudes don't exist in the NBA. But uh, uh, I made him almost true to height, and uh, I don't even think he can dunk. Like, I don't think I've ever dunked with him. Oh, man. I've How do you even play the game if you're not dunking on them? Uh, layups, baby. <laughs> Did you make him just shoot granny shots the whole time? I wish that was an option. What is wrong <laughs> with the granny shot except for its easy blockability? <laughs> <laughs> I remember there for a while we were dreaming up the GBA, the Granny Basketball yeah. Association, <laughs> just where like, yeah, just be grannies. Yeah, the, the existence of the granny shot does presuppose a bunch of basketball playing grannies. <laughs> yeah. What's the grandpa shot? What is that? Oh, the grandpa shot. Boy, I got to imagine a grandpa shot, if you go to a bar and ask for it, is probably like a, a Schlitz malt liquor and a Jim Beam shot. <laughs> That sounds very accurate, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I, I lived on the grandpa shot all the way through college. <laughs> it was Jim Beamer, ancient age. That's what there got me through. There you go. <laughs> uh, and henceforth why I really just can't drink that stuff anymore. <laughs> like, Ooh, everybody has no. their like college booze that got ruined on. And for me, like I never got ruined on Jim Beam or anything like that. Like I never got sick or nothing, but like... Man, just that flavor. I'm just done with it. I did so, so much of that shit back then. Yeah, I I think uh, pop-off vodka was like that for me for a while because I had a wild night on pop-off vodka. <laughs> uh, I also, think it's harder with vodka, though, because most of them kind of taste the same. Most of them do kind of taste the same, but it was just like the association for me. Like, it made me remember being that sick. And then oh. also uh, Jose Cuervo tequila. <laughs> Uh, of course had, had some very many no matter how many times it tried to teach me its lessons i just didn't learn <laughs> steely dan really just sold you on it man that <laughs> cuervo gold the fine colombian it just the drew you right in <laughs> man i'll tell you what we did watch herself a big old action flick this week that was full of hunky boys oh, i'm yeah. talking about hunky boys like a val kilmer oh. i'm talking about a hunky boy like a tom cruise it a even tom had cruise. a tom scarrett in it oh okay i'm talking about a little movie movie picture called top gun steve wow 
Top Gun, yeah. you say? Mm-hmm. We watched that one, and I haven't seen that in a while, dude. It's it's still fun. Like, still is it solid. ridiculous? Yes. Is Tom Cruise's character a total dickhead the whole movie, oh, and does he worst. deserve to get yeah. kicked out the entire time? Yes, absolutely. Should those chicks have turned him down every which way possible? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Is it still fun to watch? Affirmative. Is the volleyball scene too short? Yeah. Yeah. Should it be a volleyball time. movie? Probably. Absolutely so, man. Playing with the boys. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I don't I don't mean to come across controversial here, Steve. And this I might bet. this might sound kind of wild. This might Let's be like it. one of those like, oh no, he's looking into things a little too much. Uh-oh. But hear me out. This time around. I caught a few things in that movie mm-hmm. that I thought were maybe a little homoerotic. Not that that's a bad what? thing. This is a wild assumption, I know. Mm, I don't know if anybody's ever thought such things about Top Gun. That's a good point. I mean, what's next? They're going to say, oh, the 300 movie oh, had tons of homoerotic uh, stuff in it. Yeah. What's, yeah. what's next, right? <laughs> what's next? <laughs> Slippery slope. Yeah, <laughs> but it was a fun time, and it did also remind me of just how absolutely infuriating the Top Gun NES game was. Did you ever play that? No. Oh, my God. So it was impossible. I avoided that. I remember how infuriating the Airwolf game was. Oh, yeah. Fuck that, man. Yeah. Yeah, Top Gun was horrible. You know what? Yeah, now I remember Top Gun. Yes. I gave up on that immediately, I remember. Yeah, because one of the first things like, you have to you. do... Yeah. is land on the aircraft carrier. Yeah. What? And the margin for error is just ridiculous. Like, you have to do it absolutely perfectly or else you just start over. <sighs> it's impossible. It's not fun at all. Man, but being a game designer back then had to be the easiest shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like, are we going to test it? Nah. Do no, we care if uh-huh. kids like it? Fuck kids. Yeah, fuck kids. Just get Here's the parents to game. buy it for them. Thank you for the $60. <laughs> yeah, make the box art cool. It's also crazy <laughs> to think how expensive games were back then. I mean, yeah. like, that's one of those things that the, the price of has stayed pretty steady, if not gone down. Yeah, it's <laughs> insane. Yeah, I mean, as much as we hate microtransactions, it uh, it makes sense that they're looking for other ways of making money because there's no way that 60 bucks is going that far. Mm-mm, nah, man. Yeah, Top Gun, still a good watch. I would recommend it. I actually forgot there's that sequel that's supposed to be coming out sometime in the near future. So it's now I'm crazy. And ready to watch that. Did uh, did did you think about how Blitz Berlin worked on the trailer for that? Did they? Yeah. Did you know? Oh that? shit! That's no. Crazy. Awesome. Well, there you go. It all really ties together, doesn't it? It all really ties together. We also watched the other night a flick that you watched a million years ago whenever it came out, but we just now got around to watching the uh, the Kimmy Schmidt interactive like choose your own adventure movie that's on netflix yes yeah 20 out of 10 it's It's so fucking good and it made me like remember how much i love that show because it's been a while since we finished that last season of it so fucking good man we we loved it and of course like as soon as you're done with it the first time you just immediately like go back through it and choose different stuff again yeah we did we did that yeah tried to go through all of the the different branches I'm, I'm like that with anything like that like um uh video games like um, yeah any anything that has various endings i'm gonna i'm gonna do every single one of the endings for sure and that's how you devoted your life to chrono trigger <laughs> that is chrono trigger is one of those games that got me into that for sure yep. where it was like holy shit 
there's more story there's an alternate <laughs> ending what yeah. the fuck gotta find out about it man did you get the uh, the alternate extra long intro song? I don't remember that, no. So basically, whenever you're watching it, you know how Netflix gives you the option to like skip intro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, if yes. You, okay, yeah. yes. Now I remember this. It's been a while since we watched this. Yes. Yeah. And if you click it, like the, the, the guy that does all the like, females are strong as hell. Like he comes on screen and he's like, oh, you want to skip my song? Here's what you get. Extra long song. <laughs> it's like this super special long version. Right of the intro they just they really put a lot of thought into it and it was so fucking funny man and daniel radcliffe was hilarious in it man yeah i i i mean i know that it's you know kind of a hokey thing the choose your own adventure type of thing that they did with that black mirror episode as well which is also fun um and you know it's not something you can pull out a lot but when you can it's fun if if you have like you know several hours to dedicate to watching one episode of television Go for it. Floor it. Just go for it, man. Also, the other day, we watched Moulin Rouge by a Baz Luhrmann, <sighs> which was always my favorite. Avec moi? My favorite Mega Man boss was Luhrmann. Luhrmann. <laughs> the power of Lur. Yeah. Whenever you, you take his power as Mega Man, like, you enact um, everything running at, like, cocaine speed and becoming <laughs> jittery and bizarre. and Yeah. God, that guy made some fucking weird movies, man. It's one of those deals where you watch it and it's like, this is wild on so many levels, including like, how do you convince somebody to make this movie? Well, it's just batshit insane. He had to convince them to make Romeo and Juliet first, but then that did so well, you know? That's true. So I guess, uh, how did he convince them to do Romeo and Juliet is the question. (laughs) That's also a better question, right? (laughs) Yeah. Man, it's it's nuts. And I wonder, too, whenever Baz was making those movies, do you think he made it with the intention of, like, highly irritating boomer parents, or was that just a bonus? It's probably a bonus, yeah. I don't know <laughs> if he, like, set out to do it, but it was probably a bonus for sure. I think so, because I can't imagine being a parent and watching that and being <laughs> like, the kids are watching this shit again. <laughs> It's so fucking weird, man. It, it is, is just a, it's a coke fest for sure. <laughs> for sure. And of course, everybody's favorite is the little Kim part. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Steve, the subject of today's show is one PG Psycho Goreman, which is a movie that is inhabited by a weird and wild cast of characters. We got Crazy Ball, we got Crazy Girl, we got Crazy Monsters. <laughs> but one of my favorite characters in the flick is the soundtrack itself. That is a great character. <laughs> Sound- right? Soundtrack uh, of all the characters, the soundtrack is probably the standout. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, just like a great set or a great location for a movie, oftentimes the soundtrack can be just as integral of a part of a, of a uh, movie's vibe and a movie's feel and stuff as mm-hmm. the characters themselves. So to celebrate how amazing the soundtrack of Psycho Goreman is, I say we just get somebody in here for the preview palace. Let's welcome fucking shit. What just happened there? <laughs> I don't know what that was. I said that was let's. Awesome. I began with let's. <laughs> let's. What is let's? Let's preview palace. Let's preview palace, baby. <laughs> All right. Sorry, let's go. 
<laughs> just leave it all in. Yeah, I will. Welcome to the preview house. <laughs> <laughs> Where we're going to be joined by a very special guest, a manly man from the great white north. What composed some of the excellent music for this film. Well, dead and lovely listeners, for today's Preview Palace segment, we've got something very special coming up just for you guys. We've got ourselves, Mr. Martin, who is one of the composers of the score of this fine film. He plays with the wonderful musical group Blitz Berlin. Say hello, Martin. Hey, guys. Hey, Martin. Thank you so much for being here on the show and taking time to be a part of this podcast Whenever myself and Steve watched Psycho Gorman for the first time a couple weeks ago, we were both just instantly nuts about it. And we're going to spend the rest of the podcast just gushing about how much we like the flick. And <laughs> the soundtrack is definitely a huge part of that because I honestly don't think it could have been any more perfect for the film, honestly. Yeah. Amazing. I'm glad you guys dug it, man. This film was an absolute blast to work on. And it definitely some crazy asks in the music department. <laughs> oh, I imagine, and I'm looking forward to learning about that stuff. Now, of course, this is not your first foray into film scoring. You guys have worked a lot on various flicks and trailers and that kind of thing. How long have you been in the film scoring biz? Uh, yeah, I guess our first film was a movie called Extraterrestrial, which I believe we scored in 2013. So mm -hmm. I guess okay. it's been seven or eight years now. Um, and that came about, like, we, were, we played as a band before this, a uh, punk band touring across Canada there's three members of Blitz Berlin and myself Dean and Tristan and the three of us all have been playing together since high school um, oh that's awesome so yeah yeah we're uh, very fortunate you know to be able to do this job sort of with our best friends um and the way that we got our first film and when that came about in the first place was just a music video director who uh had done a few of our music videos and he got his first bit of money to make a science fiction movie that he'd always wanted to make and yeah. didn't like who he'd been paired with and so it was like a, a panic late night phone call i was like i need you to score my fucking movie and i was like no, <laughs> no problem got this we got it and then like got off the phone and literally the three of us were like going to google i mean like how to score a movie how do you yeah. do this you know <laughs> how so, movie scored <laughs> like literally the amount of questions so it, very much school of hard knocks in that regard <laughs> just you know trial and error um a lot of uh a lot of research and a lot of uh diving in head first you know we'd had a, a background in production and recording our own music but never never putting it to picture which is the whole different beast so. yeah no kidding man i think it's really interesting too that you guys have that background of playing punk rock and playing in bands together and then making that journey all the way into film scoring and stuff like that that mm -hmm. seems like two completely separate worlds but at the same time like the way that you just described how you guys ended up getting that gig mm -hmm. of just having this thing fall into your lap and being like uh whatever we'll take it we'll figure it out later you know sure yeah. that's like a very punk rock attitude to take <laughs> i mean i think that's the it's funny because i guess throughout our our brief careers so far with uh with film we've sort of thought of it in that way that um although the music doesn't sound like punk rock most of the time the sort of diy approach is really helpful just in terms of solving things um from a make it with your hands kind of way you know oh, we don't know how to get this sound well like let's get some sheet metal in the garage and see if we can like make it ourselves sort of thing so yep you know i think that can lead us down a lot of paths that sound awful a lot of the time and then <laughs> sometimes it can get something that sounds very unique which i think has helped us get work um and and be able to work with with these awesome directors and, and projects that we have over time 
But I will say that Psycho Gorman, I think, is the first time that being in a band has literally been helpful because the amount of this score that sounds like a, a cheesy rock band, which yeah. we are very qualified to make, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I really uh, I love uh, Frick Off, obviously. That's, like, yeah. one of I the like. standouts for sure. Like, I, I was listening to the, the score itself while working out, and uh, I... I, I would love the, the vocal version that you have on the soundtrack, but I was a little disappointed that we didn't get, uh, uh, what's her name's vocals? Ah, I forgot Mimi. Mimi's yeah. vocals, yeah. There you go. Yeah, I know, I, you know, to be honest, when we were assembling the soundtrack, it was, uh, it was a question mark in our minds. We're like, do we put both versions? We had the version in the film, which is half the actress's vocal and then half our, our vocalist, Danny's vocal. Um, and in the context of the soundtrack, we sort of made a last minute decision where we're like the soundtrack itself, I think is enjoyable and funny because it sounds like it's done in earnest. And whenever we included any of the actors voices, it started to sound more intentionally like a comedy soundtrack right. or something, which that obviously it kind of is, but yeah. it, like not quite in the right way. So no, we had I think that. it was a good choice. We had that. And then we had the uh, like emotional version of frig off towards the end of the film on there too, with like all the cast <laughs> singing it together. Yeah. We're like, it just yeah. doesn't quite fit on the record, unfortunately. But. <laughs> that's interesting too. Cause that's a consideration that I'm sure they had to take through the whole movie as far as like making it deliberately campy versus making it look like you're making it look deliberately campy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's 100%. a fine line to tread because if you go too far in either direction, it either becomes like, gosh, do these guys know they're making this silly thing? Are they taking this serious? Yeah. Or it just yeah. becomes like, oh, they're trying really hard to be funny, yeah. and it stops being funny. That's a fine line to tread. Yeah, 100%. It's, and so many of our early conversations with, with Steve, the director, um, Steve Kostansky, were about that. And he has a very innate sense for that. Like, he has an instinct for it of something that's like, that's almost funny, but it's not quite because it feels like it's playing up this, or it feels a little too obvious in this way or something. So he's right. very, very smart guy and and thinks very intuitively about those things. So a lot of the early conversations were his, him sort of imparting those specific tastes to us, being like, you know, the music can't know what's happening on screen is funny. If the music tries to play for laughs in like a old school comedy way, it kind of spoils the joke. The fun yeah. of this is this movie seems like it's made in earnest. Just the subject matter is quite silly, but like no one in the film thinks the film is funny, you know, like it, right. it needs to be played kind of dry. And so our marching orders were more or less this, this movie needs to be scored like you are composers working in 1991 and doing your absolute best to score this film. <laughs> you know, you're not thinking this is funny. This is a huge opportunity for you to do this blockbuster. So we, you know, I had to approach it in that way and and really, really sell that vibe. And thus Nailed the it. rap song over the credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Class. That was, that was like the most fun. That actually, so that's a bit of a, a combo um, effort within the band because we were... The timeline for the film got a little crazy because it got into South by, which of course got canceled in 2020, but right. we didn't know that in, in like January of last year. So we were working around the clock to try to finish this film in time to get it in for South by, um, which led to, you know, we have multiple workstations in the house that we were living in, in Los Angeles at the time. And Diener was working on the finale of the film, the whole like crazy ball fight and all that stuff. And I'm sitting in the other room with headphones on trying to write lyrics to the rap. Jeez. Um, and then I tried to rap it and my voice just does not 
work for 99% of it. It's actually my voice doing the like PG for short in the background. It's that like <laughs> pitch down. But awesome, otherwise, awesome. we're like, man, who like has like enough like flow, at least for this type of flow? You know, we don't have to be like good in like a modern hip hop sense, but we have to be able to to sell that. And Tristan, who was the drummer in our band, naturally has the best sense of sense of rhythm and stuff and a bit of a deeper voice. So that's him on the recording. <laughs> is, uh, that's awesome. So, you know, <laughs> we awesome. took turns trying to spit hot fire in the booth. And it was uh, <laughs> Tristan Tyre who nailed it. That's amazing, man. And what better way to close out like such a, a nod and a tribute to 80s and 90s horror flicks than to end it with an old school rap. It yeah. couldn't have been more perfect, man. Yeah, <laughs> talking about Costanzi, let's get into that a little bit here. What mm. What is your all's relationship with him and when did you guys start working together? How did that all come together? Yeah, so we were fans of Steve's work before we ever got a chance to meet him. Um, shortly after I moved to Toronto, which would have been in like 2010, I guess, um, I went to a screening of the movie Manborg. Are you guys okay. familiar with Manborg? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's like one of Steve's first and it was screening at the Royal Theater here in Toronto and a friend of mine was like, you got to see this movie. It's called Manborg. And I'm like, sold already, of course. Sold. And went there. There was already people in costume. It was just such a crazy, you know, viewing experience. And by the end of it, I remember with this, this feeling of like, man, I don't know who made this movie, but whoever made this movie, I feel like we could be friends because we clearly like all the same stuff because this, this feels like it was made specifically for me. Um, <laughs> and then years passed, you know, that was always just a movie that I really loved. And then actually Tristan was adopting a dog. And this is how the story goes, believe it or not, was sitting in Trinity Bellwoods Dog Park in Toronto. And sitting next to this guy who was also going through the dog fostering process and they get to talking and that's Steve Kostansky and he's like, what do you do? I make music for movies. (laughs) What What do you do? I make movies and I need music. And he was just starting the void at that time. Um, So that literally got us in the room to like make some music for the void. And kind of the rest is history a little bit. We just really hit it (laughs) off well with Steve. You know, we were in the studio together and then he's a very funny guy and so like the the, you know film references and jokes and stuff coming up we just clearly all grew up on like big trouble in little china and escape from la and all these movies that we you know really really love um so when you know ever since then steve and i have been have been friends and i just prod him regularly (laughs) like what's (laughs) your writing (laughs) got anything new like i want to just you know even if we're not working on it i'm just i'm such a fan of his stuff i always want to read what he's got so um, wow. And that was uh, Psycho Gorman. He was like, actually, I do have this one thing and it's kind of crazy. I think you guys might be good for it. And <laughs> I read it on an airplane actually back to LA and I'm sitting there in my seat and like getting to like the like the Templars battle and stuff in the middle. And I'm just like biting on my hand, like tears in my eyes, yes. laughing at what's on the page. Because on the page, honestly, it was every bit as, as ridiculous as it ended up being uh, on screen but yeah so we we had the good fortune of of knowing steve for a little while by the time pg came around so we started making music for it uh quite a while before it was even shot just based on the script um and sort of bouncing ideas back and forth to steve which is kind of a, a very helpful way to start a film project that's this complex no doubt man that is amazingly serendipitous that it really came down to two dudes with dogs on a on a park bench i don't mean to sound biased or step on any toes but i'm just saying this kind of thing doesn't happen for cat people. Okay? <laughs> absolutely, Just absolutely. Saying. And if you if Just you are, are to ever meet our dog, whose name is or well Tristan's dog, whose name is Miss Cleo, who we all kind of feel <laughs> like is jointly our dog. She 
her attitude you can tell that she knows that she like got us work she definitely like walks around like on her high horse you're welcome yeah you owe me (laughs) yeah exactly now the void is a flick that me and steve have professed our love for many times here on the show it's a really really awesome flick how different was it working on that versus pg because obviously the void has all played extremely seriously it's super dark Mm -hmm. a lot of the soundtrack is very like atmospheric and a lot of pads and stuff like that whereas pg is a lot more over the top definitely um very different experiences uh, in in every way really not just the tonality of the film but the point of the process that we we were brought in at as well um there were multiple composers on the void too so we were brought in at a point when there was some other music in the film already but there were certain parts that they wanted a different angle on so it ended up being i don't know like five or six different people's music in there um uh, but yeah, it, working on it subject matter wise, especially that one was directed by both Steve and Jeremy, right? Um, right. Who's another one of the Astron Six guys, and they were definitely, you know, as you guys know, having seen it, it is not a funny film. No, <laughs> no there's no jokes in that movie. It's very grim, dark, and and cool, Lovecraftian, you know, brooding sort of stuff. Um, and they were very aware of what they were trying to do with it. You know, Astron's mainly made tongue in cheek kind of movies in the past and this was a chance for them to make something that felt more like a love letter to some deep cosmic horror kind of things and so right away um they both think both of them as directors they think really uh intelligently about music it's not an afterthought and so they'd had a bunch of stuff they were listening to while writing that they really connected with stuff like lust mord and like some of these like very noise core kind of kind of bands so when they played it for us we're like yeah i mean we can we can do something in this world for sure um but one of the big funny enough one of the big asks originally was like we do not want this to be a melodic score this is not john williams this is not pretty this is not anything like that it's just like dreadful and plotting even john carpenter at times as a reference was maybe like a little too light like this needs to be very mm. you know Grim, dark yeah. darkness of the ancient universe sonically Nailed um it. well <laughs> yeah so so we we went into that but then be, being us as well i don't know like i you know we enjoy writing themes and with melody and stuff so our original void sketchbook that we made for it kind of does have this one melodic pass where it gets kind of like a little sad for a bit and there's some movement but i apparently that's the part that ended up getting us the gig strangely enough because the ending of the film wasn't quite working with the grimdark stuff and there is Mm. this moment of catharsis when people have kind of escaped a little bit and there's you know so much loss but like a little bit of hope towards the ending and then the editor just dropped in our sketchbook and they're like well this works what's this and we're like well this is actually by those guys that pitched on the movie so that's what helped (laughs) us help us get it you never know what's gonna freaking land with that stuff this is why we always make sketchbooks which is sure so important just like putting a body of work in the hands of a director so that hopefully they can get hooked on one part of it. No kidding, man. Now, you mentioned John Carpenter a second ago, who's mm. one of our favorites and absolutely one of our favorite directors and composers for flicks, too. Um, who are some of your favorite film composers that you would say are kind of an inspiration to you? Yeah, I mean, growing up, like, before I even knew that this was a job, um... I'd say the films that I grew up on the most would be John Carpenter. It would be also stuff like, like Blade Runner. So obviously Vangelis. Oh um, yeah, man. But love I, that soundtrack. I, I guess, you know, early days I, I didn't really understand, uh, what kind of job film scoring was or that the guys who made it were, were kind of like artists in their own right. Like it all seemed, I don't know, a little nebulous to a, to a kid. 
So I remember just being fans of the sounds and fans of the music and humming the themes. And obviously growing up on, you know, Star Wars and Indiana Jones and everything, John Williams is king. Can't avoid him. You can't. And and someone who I, I look up to infinitely, actually as a mini anecdote, if I may, we were on we were on the, the Fox lot when that still existed. I don't even know if it still does because Fox doesn't exist anymore. But yeah. <laughs> we were on the Fox lot a few years ago, which felt like a big deal for us, like meeting people and going around this big movie studio lot. And we got to sit in one of the live recording rooms where they do symphony stuff. And they've done a bunch of John Williams scores in there. So we're like kids in a candy shop, you know, just like oh looking gosh. around me like, holy crap. And one of the guys in there tells us a story that I guess whenever John Williams works on on scores... He like shows up, he still does everything by hand, like pencil and paper. He's not oh, using damn. a computer or anything. So he's writing mm-hmm. every like, you know, orchestra part, every melody is just this like sweet old guy writing everything by hand, showing up with like his bagged lunch that was made at home that he like eats there on the <laughs> lot. And just like, just, I don't know. He's the coolest guy ever to me. That's amazing. <laughs> um, you know, absence of every possible crutch or tool that we use to do our job. And he's just like creating in the most raw sense. I think it's very cool. So wild. really idolized him growing up. Absolutely. Um, that's a big one. Awesome, man. What kind of direction were you given from Kostansky about where to take the score for this? Did he give you references as far as like some classic 80s bands that this stuff should sound like? Mm. How much how much direction were you given and how much of it was just you guys reading the script and being like, oh, we know what this should sound like? No, I, in this case, Steve definitely had a very active hand in the score. Um, it, it's, it's always a, a give and take. With these things, he gave us the script originally and we created a bunch of music and gave it to him. And then his role at that point is a little more curation, like, oh, this and this feels like the movie, but like this maybe feels a little modern or this isn't quite in the right zone, whatever. That's a great way to start a dialogue. But especially when it came to the songs um, and the type of 80s or 90s song that they are. I feel like when you say like, oh, it's got to be 80s to somebody, everybody has a slightly different interpretation of what that means. And a lot of times they think, oh, like Stranger Things? Like, well, no, that's actually the wrong 80s for this. This is really specifically 1990 to 1992, basically, that this is, you know, referencing. So he would pull stuff and be like, oh, I would love if you would watch like Commando for one. You know okay great yeah yes one like, of my hell yeah dude and i had yeah. seen it a bunch but he was like watch it pay attention to the score there's like you know we didn't end up using the like steel drum that's so right. it's so <laughs> iconic to that film but a, a lot of like the way that song syncs are used in that was an inspiration for sure for the way that we went with with the songs for this film um and you know he-man masters the universe like the Dolph Lundgren one like the um, it, which his description of that was like, it sounds like they wanted John Williams, but they couldn't afford him. So they got somebody else to do their best John Williams impressions. Like maybe our <laughs> score should sound like we're doing an impression of that guy. <laughs> there so, you go. Um, you know, it, Steve, Steve's not a micromanager. He's not coming in and being like, play this note, do this thing at all. He's a pleasure to work with creatively, but he definitely has a very clear picture of what he wants and commu- communicates a lot of great ideas um, in a way that's kind of inspiring to work with. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. I uh, I've been listening to uh, some of your uh, uh, Movements Three album, which recently got a, a Juno nomination, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Congrats well, on that. I'm surprised. Thank you. Thanks yeah, um, and I when I just found out that you were in a punk band, that kind of made sense to me because it's so eclectic. Like, mm. um, I, I really like some of it has some of the feel of some of your trailers, which is that like mixture of sparseness and fullness that really works with trailers and the way you Mm -hmm. guys kind of play with space 
but like I really noticed in movements some influences that I didn't expect. So like, who would you mm. say are your musical influences outside of of scoring? Yeah, I mean we we grew up on like a lot of like the you know warp tour scene of the early 2000s <laughs> so a lot of the stuff that we grew up loving was like at the drive-in um later on the mars volta you know yeah. bands like Glassjaw and stuff like that um and then in terms of the more just like grungy 90s sort of stuff too like tool and nine inch nails were probably like my first bands that really yeah. like got me into music um so i think that all of those still kind of live in our minds as inspirations. There's actually a project we were just working on, um, which required a lot of uh, permutations of drum patterns where it would be like, okay, well this pattern's got to go on for a while, but it can't sound too repetitive, but we don't want to add melodic elements. So how do we like mix up these rhythms in an interesting way, which feels like we're, we're adding something without cluttering it, whatever. And we had so many conversations about like what would Danny Carey do, <laughs> like the drummer of yeah, Tool, yeah. right? Because yep. the master of polyrhythms, indisputably, like every one of his limbs is playing in a different time yeah. signature. Um, so we, we, you know, that those inspirations are very much still play a part in what we do. Um, and in a modern context, man, we listen to everything. If we're driving to a meeting, we're like listening to like Megan the Stallion. <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> or, Megan the Stallion. Uh, yeah, she's I talk about her all the time on the show. She's the best. She's fantastic. And, uh, you know, everything from that to, to even, you know, pop stuff that you might not expect us to be into, but, you know, the production on like a, a Diplo track or something might be like, how did he get that snare sound? Holy crap. Like it can be inspiring in all different ways. So nowadays we listen to everything, but I feel like probably our sensibilities are most informed by the stuff we grew up on in high school being like the old school punk rock and emo stuff. Yeah. I didn't want to say tool. But, like, I caught a, a number of Tool references throughout and was just like, wow. I, I like, because it was, it. it's exactly what I like about Tool. Nice. So, oh, man, that's yeah. just about the highest compliment you can give me. I didn't, yeah. I, like, those aren't, probably aren't intentional on that record. That's just how we oh. think about music now, but I'm very, very glad. Tough. Yeah. That's excellent, man. And I think it's wild to, you know, from, from one musician that's played in a lot of bands and stuff to another, I got to say it's amazing and very inspiring to see that you guys have managed to work together for so long and mm. remain friends for so long and grow musically with each other. I mean, honestly, like you work with a set of musicians long enough. It's rare that you'll continue working together or being friends, much less mm. <laughs> a lot of times. Absolutely. But the, the fact that you guys have managed to stay working together and evolve your musical taste at the same time as well and remain seeing eye to eye um, I think that's amazing and extremely rare. And I mean, back in your mm -hmm. touring punk days where I'm sure you guys were living out of a van and living the dream like we all <laughs> have at some point. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm sure you guys probably couldn't have even dreamt that it would lead to scoring flicks and stuff, right? Or was that ever like a goal for you back in those days? No, God, no, man. We didn't even know it was it was a job you could have. Like our, our goals at the time were, you know, as as nebulous and illogical as they can be as like a 21 year old person in a band you're like you know stadium rock or we break the fuck up like yeah. or something you know like <laughs> not really not really realistic or with much of a game plan other than like we're just going to keep playing shows and then maybe we're going to get signed or something and then we're going to be like on the radio and then we can just play music every day so oh yeah i guess the play music every day part came true which we are so so very lucky for that um and i think that essential to that happening is less to do with any specific like uh talent or or good luck or connection 
I, I guess especially good luck definitely does play a part, but the biggest thing is that we just like haven't given up. <laughs> yeah, is, is what I contributed to because there, God, have we ever had ample reasons to over time? Like so many, you know, we we moved to Toronto in the first place as a five piece band, which broke up like that month basically, Ugh. and then left the three of us to try to piece the band back together. We had just got a record deal, but the record company was like, "Do you still have a band?" And that sort of <laughs> fell apart and. We had this, you know, this sort of come to Jesus moment or whatever with uh, with the three of us where we just had failure after failure and, and grumbled this little bit right when we moved to, to Toronto in the first place. Um, and we had this conversation where we're all sitting on a couch in this like rundown, you know, house that we were living in at the time and being like, okay, so let's just say that we have like a magic eight ball or we could, you know, see into the future a little bit. And we know that we'll never make any money from making music ever because this year has taught us that that probably won't happen. Right. So <laughs> do we still make music tomorrow? And the three of us were kind of unanimously like, well, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's the only thing we're any good at. And also it's something we just feel like we kind of need to do and aren't happy if we're not doing so yeah yeah that i always think back to is a bit of this like crossroads point where that's when we started making instrumental music we started experimenting a ton we started making stuff that honestly was pretty self-indulgent because we're like well if nobody's (laughs) gonna buy it let's just make what we want you know and and you know luckily enough that found its way into the hands of the right people and has afforded us this this career of of making weird music for a living so no kidding. It sounds like you guys have had a lot of success because you've just always stayed true to your intentions, not really thinking about the carrot on the end of the stick and yeah. the reward that could be offered if you did it just this way or that way or however right. people want it to be or whatever. I think that's that's key, man. Absolutely. Is is you know, when you're when you're in the flow on something and people like the phone is ringing and you're getting a job or something and a bunch of people have ideas and whatever, it pays to be able to just like jump on that and ride it till the wheels come off, you know, and just like get really really excited really into something uh and that's where your your interpersonal skills really come into play um but the majority of the time in my experience being a musician for as long as i have nothing's happening (laughs) unless you make it happen so if you get out of bed that day and you don't have a task that is like exciting to you to some people that feels like well why am i doing this i should just quit and i think to us it's always felt like okay well this is an opportunity to do something new so let's just do that even if it feels like it sucks right now you know, oh, yeah. not doing it is worse than that. So let's just not give mm-hmm. up and keep trying, you know? Oh, yeah. And I know we got a lot of musicians and stuff that listen to the show. And I think that that's a valuable lesson that that everybody should learn and understand is that like, well, you know, it's like they always say, whenever a, a door closes, a window opens or whatever. <laughs> every failure that's come along my way, every band that I've had, like my heart really invested in that, you know, broke up as bands yeah. often do. Every time that's happened, something better comes up. It's yeah. like you'll be super tore up about it. You'll be super sore about it when it happens and that, you know, path you thought you were on closes up. But something better always happens, you know? As long as you keep your mind on it and you keep moving forward, you got to make it happen, of course. But yeah, those setbacks are never really as bad as they are, uh, as bad as they seem when they happen, huh? 100%. And um, as you say about the expression with the door and the window, which, by the way, does sound like an invitation to jump out of a window when you right. say <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I but I take I take the meaning and um it, it really is the case because if uh the the biggest way that you can be a detriment I think to to your own growth and your own career uh, and your your desire to make music every day is if you 
cling on to something desperately that, that isn't working or that's making you unhappy. And mm. we've had many of these points in our lives. I mean, when we were living on the West coast of Canada, it became clear that like we had gone as far as we could there. And it was like, let's take a leap and go to this big city that we don't even know if we want to live in, but yeah. we got to do something. And then that, we hit our limit there as well and we did the same thing trying to get our us visas and getting to los angeles and doing all of that and those are these moments of uncomfort or discomfort i should say but they come from uh these decision making points where you could be like well we're not really happy here but we are sort of eking out a living and it's more comfortable to not change anything and making that sort of decision i think is is what can lead down to a path of, of unhappiness or stagnation so having the it helps to have a group of people to make this decision too, because we all kind of egg each other on with them. It's not, I think it'd be harder as one person to be like, I'm just getting out of this town. Right. I don't need nobody or something. <laughs> but but when it's the three of us and it's like, well, are you happy here? Are you happy here? Like, what do we need to do to be living the life that we want to and making music in the way that we want to? Um, and we sort of come up with these uncomfortable ideas that become less uncomfortable the more that we digest them as the three of us. And then we've always got each other, even if everything goes sideways. So that's helpful. That's awesome, man. That's the best way that a band really works. It's just like this bizarre, you know, however many people are in your band uh, relationship mm -hmm. that you got to keep going and working together and stuff. It's amazing whenever it works. It's a wonderful thing. And it seems like you guys really have captured that and kept it going. Yeah, I think it's it's something we feel very lucky for and um there there's two pieces of advice that we were given early days that we've we've lived by that i think have helped that stay as as a piece and and um stay together over over time and sort of value our relationships with each other and one of which is that everything internally should be dealt with equally no matter right. what and and that that can be controversial with with some some groups because um you know if your guitar player is writing most of the songs he thinks he should have 100 percent of the publishing and there's an argument for that there sure. totally is however if your priority is is keeping a group together long term we were given this example early days that like when you're playing in a punk rock band let's say that you know one guy's booking a show somebody's dealing with your merch somebody's got the van and it's driving somebody's you know you're all contributing musically but then like one guy is taking more publishing points on something then maybe the band doesn't succeed or is still struggling, but that song gets covered by somebody and that guy makes a million dollars. You've all helped that come true. Right. And now one guy is rich and the rest of you are screwed. And there's all these stories of exactly that happening with bands, which, which ends them. So we kind of always made the decision that like, if we're all going to be contributing equally to this, then we need to be sharing everything equally within the group. So that's a I decision that, we made early days. Yeah, I, I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard about operating in a band like that and keeping the peace and keeping things moving is like, let's say you play in a four-piece band. If you get your way 25% of the time, those are pretty good odds. Yeah, 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 totally. 100%. You have to see it as like this mini, like, you know, I guess democracy, but also like mini, you know, socialism in a way where it's right. like... Yeah. We're we're all equals here. We got to figure this out together. We all benefit when we when we win, and we all lose when we lose. So like, let's let's do this together. Um, and I think it, it that in itself is a recipe for. There's going to be conflict for sure, but as long as your sure. bottom line that no one's compromising on is share of responsibility or share of income, then you kind of have your your uh, points that you can't argue with. And that to me has been sort of our a rock that's held us held us together. Um, no doubt, man. No doubt. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the, the second piece, I said there's two pieces of advice. The other one was to be as prolific as possible. This is something that a uh, guy in a rock band told me many years ago because he had had this experience where they had made all these records and he recorded this one song that wasn't quite finished and was like, I don't know, the riff's kind of okay, but the lyric isn't really there. And the producer at the time was like, just record it, we'll put it on the record. And they did. And that ended up going in a car commercial and like buying that band, you know, their houses for the first Whoa. time. And he was like, if there's one lesson to take from that, it's as the generator of the music, you have no idea fundamentally what will connect with people. You don't. True. Anybody who says they do doesn't because then, you know, radio hits would be a science and they're not. Right. <laughs> so it's just if you if you like something at all, just record it, just get it out in the world. And that that also has happened with us where there's been these tracks that we didn't know if we're going to put on a record or should we bother releasing. And then that's the thing that catches the director's ear that gets us in the room on a job or something. You just you don't know. So. Just got to finish it. Just got to hammer it out, man. That's exactly that's any creative process. Steve's a writer and I'm a musician and we've talked about this many times on the show. Mm. Um, sometimes the best thing you can do is just to get it out. You know, not, don't even worry about doing the right version. Steve, you gave me some great advice years ago about make the shitty version, right? Right. Yeah. Just uh, push out the shitty version. Try to uh, <laughs> try to maybe outsmart yourself. Do the do the thing where you're like, this is what an idiot would do. This is be, then you do this stupid thing, and then this stupid thing would happen. And it's like, well, actually, this isn't so bad. Totally. Maybe tune it up. Uh, 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 a little twist here, a little twist there. You got something going. So, yeah, it, it always uh, it always makes the most sense to just work through it and and push yourself through. Yeah, I think that's such good advice, man. That's absolutely with with music and with with writing as well. It's like just the worst thing you can do is is self edit to a point of atrophy right. which is really easy to do where you're you're working on stuff and you're just like i don't know was that the best idea uh maybe i'll think about it oh i don't feel like writing today anymore like that's so that's the easiest thing for every creative oh, us yeah. included but if you're just like well fuck it it's good enough just get it down yeah as for, as, it, as like not satisfying as that might be in the moment just like you say then you've got something down whether right. you like it or don't like it then you can change it but it exists and oh, it's, yeah. it's much easier to deal with things that exist than things that don't Sometimes whenever you just get it done and you have a finished product that you can scope out and look at from that bird's eye view, yeah, you know, and look down at it and be like, this is working, but this isn't. I liked this part. I should change this. That's so much better than, you know, being so close to the forest, you can't see the trees, just knee deep in your own project. Uh, I know I've had that happen many times with myself, so 100%. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that that's working for, for you as well. And that, that's the thing for anybody listening as well who, who you know, maybe we sound like people who just have figured this out. Therefore it doesn't happen to us or something like right. not at all. Like God, no. for every project we finish, there are 10 things on my hard drive that I've just right. have wallowed in some way. And I haven't been able to apply this to. So mm -hmm. it, it's a challenge. It always is. But, um, but if, if you can will yourself to just be like, maybe I shouldn't overthink this. I actually find sometimes writing things like you say, Steve, where it's almost like a joke, right? It's so freaking helpful. It, it helps is. with music too, where you're just like, well, maybe yep. if I just did, <laughs> and you're like, oh no, actually, you know, that worked a little bit. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was actually kind of cool That's, that way. <laughs> the origin of so many of our projects that have ended up working are because we thought it was funny and therefore it was so much easier to make because you're no longer staking your like emotional worth on this piece of art right. and it becomes impossible to create. Instead, you're like, well, what if it's just fun? And, and that's, you know, that sense of play when creating is, is, is so, so important, I think. 
Oh, yeah, and it's easy to lose track of, too, especially when we get very self-involved and wrapped up in our own vision of our artistic majesty and stuff. It's, totally. It's really easy to, to fall into that hole for sure, man. Yeah. Well, you know, you've worked on a couple of different types of films over the, the last few years here. Are there any, like, let's say directors or even genres that mm. you would like to delve into next? Like, are you like, man, I really want to do a romantic comedy. I want to do that. <laughs> like. What what's yeah. something that you would you would call I, a dream project? Yeah, I mean we uh, we've had the good fortune of working in the genres that we are really big fans of, which probably is no accident. You know, it's the stuff that we understand the best, um, science fiction and and horror and that sort of stuff. Um, but I'm definitely very excited to try our first like, I guess kind of a cop-out saying like a larger budget film that's not really what <laughs> i mean but just i guess i guess we've never done an action movie oh, actually yeah, something yeah. that would be purely considered like a john wick or like a you know what was that that new one that looked great with um with bob odenkirk uh, oh right yeah nobody like nobody, that yeah. to me i'm like that is my some of my favorite movies to watch and like a lot of the stuff that we've done is definitely has action scenes in it sure as horror does there's chases there's fights there's whatever but it's it's all with a you know a different approach um god i would you know if i could go back in time and be handed like verhoven's total recall or something oh like, man for real like big like yes. dope like arnold schwarzenegger style action sci-fi man i'd be in heaven i would that would be great Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. And I, I'm assuming, too, just from everything you said, you kind of grew up as a horror fan and stuff, too, right? Definitely. And I mean, especially, I guess, the the more sci-fi tip of horror I always found most interesting. Like, you know, Alien was such a favorite film growing up. and Awesome soundtrack on that one, too. Oh my so God. minimal and just brooding. So good. Unreal. Yeah, the soundtrack on the first and, I mean, the second being a, such a different movie and very much more an action movie is also just, you know, brilliant in, in every regard, in my opinion. Um so yeah, you know, I definitely grew up really liking horror movies, but things like Alien or like The Thing, um, to me were were the, sort of the perfect mix of those ideas. Like they were scary, but they were also just like so cool and mysterious. It wasn't just mm -hmm. like a guy with a knife or something. There was like this larger, unknowable, you know, mythos that was that was so cool. So. Oh yeah. Well, and too, I think that a lot of like Carpenter's use of of synth and stuff on a lot of those soundtracks just made it seem all the more inhuman like it wasn't like mm -hmm. hearing a big string section or an oboe where you're like there's a human connected at the other end of that that's playing notes that somebody wrote on paper like those classic carpenter soundtracks and even some of like the goblin stuff from mm. the the giallo era of flicks that i love that's all synthesizer based there's something about it that just makes it seem less human to me in a lot of ways totally that's the kind of thing that i think really serves the movie very well and i imagine that has to be a big goal whenever you're writing a soundtrack for a flick like this it's like it's not about like let's make this awesome song i wrote stand out and take everybody's attention it's all about like you have to take the back seat yeah and be like is this helping the scene or is it overtaking it or not upfront enough that has to be a real balancing act it definitely is and and i think not just in terms of of um of of mixing which i mean that is a huge struggle with mixing as well it's just like how do we feature these musical moments without stepping on the dialogue and and in writing, that's that's definitely a big consideration. Like, let's not put the stuff that we're most proud of under this key line because it's definitely not winning. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, working around the other elements that way. I, I've always thought of, of music in a lot of ways as a... You can think of it as a conversation um, or a push and pull between kind of comfort and discomfort. But I feel like when we're 
when we're writing and when we're approaching stuff, that conversation can happen melodically a lot of ways. You know, you're looking for more resolving kind of keys and notes that feel pleasant or things that pull you away from that resolve that feel more and more tense in different degrees. And there's a million ways to do that. But that conversation can also happen tonally. And, and to what you're saying about Carpenter scores and the thing, you know, certain tones like piano or strings are so familiar and so classic they can be used in strange ways, but the tonality does tend to be a little more comforting than something that you're just like, what is that saying? Whether mm -hmm. that's created with synthesizers or sampling. Um, an example recently that pops to mind is something like the Tenet score, where there's that great, like, tempo-less gliding synth that, like, g -g 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 that's coming in and out in, in certain parts that, you know, I guess notoriously now was, like, theater-breaking. It was so loud. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I think it's an interesting use of, of you know, it's a... a confusing and strange and sci-fi topic and then you have this sound that feels like something that's not part of this world either and that in that uh carpenter combination way i think does create that that otherworldly sense so um sure yeah. that's always a consideration when when writing and when finding your pockets is like there's a conversation happening literally on screen between characters and then there needs to be a musical conversation as well which is pulling between tension and resolve yeah, I get it, man. And and like I said, never overtaking the scene either. And I really do feel like your old soundtrack for, for Psycho Goreman did just that. It always really just fit what was going on on screen exactly the right way. I mean, even like the the, the crazy ball scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the music is pretty well turned up to 11 tonally there. Yeah. But so is the scene. So it completely made sense. It yeah. worked. Yeah, absolutely. That was... Uh... That was one of the one of the challenges given to us, especially in that last act of the film. Like, you know, once the gang shows up at the warehouse and everything and it's mm. kind of just insanity from there on out. The amount of musical changes within that last 15 minutes of the film are just are crazy um, from, you know, really tender, sweet, emotional moments to bombastic action and then, you know, cheesy guitar riffs and everything in between. Um, it very much uh, was a challenge to not sort of give it all up right away like you have to be able to make things within that scene that feel very intense but you know you're only a six out of ten because there's still crazier stuff left to happen <laughs> and with a <laughs> yeah. scene that's as complex as that last battle it's tough when you're like oh well this is like this huge moment like actually no it's like number five of of five huge moments and you got to step it up each time so yeah restraint is key with that and, and figuring out how to how to dial that in no doubt. Well, I, I know that I definitely loved it, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing whatever you guys have coming down the pike. Is there any projects or anything you guys have coming up that we can hear about? Yeah, we've got a few things. Actually, uh, to, well, I don't know when this will air, but... Uh, uh, next to, Wednesday. Next Wednesday? Okay. Well, then the previous Wednesday, from when you're hearing this, uh, Witch Hunt uh, is a movie that we scored by director L. Callahan, and it's premiering at South By on March 17th. Um, Killer. So that's cool, and... The biggest one for us that we just wrapped like days ago is um, this new TV show, uh, which is our first like network TV show. It's a big deal for us. Killer. Um, awesome. And it's an adaptation of Romero's Day of the Dead. Um, Ooh, oh, man. Yeah. It's a new zombie show, and it's going to be on Sci-Fi in the States, Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, I don't know when it airs or anything beyond that, but I know that we just finished the score. And Steve Kostansky, director of Fiji, is also involved. He directed a few episodes of it. That's oh awesome. I'm going to be looking out for that. Yeah, I think uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I don't think I can say a whole lot about it other than that it takes a very unique uh, approach to the uh, to the canon um, in a way that I think is they have a lot of fun with. It. So Awesome. Yeah. 
What do you think that like your young self would have said if you from the future could be like, you know, one day you're going to like do music for this Romero property. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> yeah, man. There's been a few of those that are just like, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll sit there on our couch with Miss Cleo, the dog, and just be like, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but we also, because we've been, you know, naturally you're in the industry for long enough, we've been burned so many times that, that you also are just a hundred percent sure it won't happen so right. that when it actually does you're like no so <laughs> probably the biggest one for that was was the blade runner 2036 because that's like oh, you know God, blade runner is a film that i obviously you know grew up on and idolized and was so excited for 2049 and we pitched all this music for 2049 which you know didn't even get anywhere close to being in the film um and then we found out that we got something we're like what the fuck did we get and it was like an example of that track that you don't know is going somewhere, but it was our sketchbook that we originally made for the void, which was on movements one, which Luke mm-hmm. Scott, Ridley Scott's son heard and liked and put in the edit of his short film blade runner 2036, which is like prequel. So we were like that song in blade runner. Like you're kidding me. You're making this up for sure. And then, so that one for us, the coolest moment of that is that we got, we, had, we didn't get one because we're so far down the totem pole. We went to Walmart and we bought the Blu-ray. And on the back of the Blu-ray, it includes it like in the release of the film, the short yes. and the release of 2049. So we're like, this is officially canon. It counts. That's like, awesome. We contributed counts, to the Blade dude. Runner, you know, world in some way. And that, that to me, you know, I felt like I could retire at that moment, basically. Not financially, but cool. emotionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but spiritually. Yeah. yeah. yeah in, in here, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. Steve, do you have any other questions that you want to toss Martin here before we wrap up? I feel like we've taken up a lot of your time, buddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, we did take up a lot of your time. Uh, real quick, uh, you're in Canada. Uh, uh, what's your order at Tim Hortons? Go. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> oh, good question. Man, see, okay, so Tim Hortons, like, objectively, like, kind of sucks, to be honest. Yeah. I know I'm a bad Canadian <laughs> by saying that, but it's not very good. And there's actually this, like, Canadian mythos around this, which I'll share with you for a moment. So, okay. Now, it used to be that the Tim Hortons double-double was like the coffee everybody gets. It's two creams and two sugars. You say, I'll have a double-double. There's even off-menu types of coffee you can get, which are progressively more disgusting. Like, you can say, I'll have the Lemieux, (laughs) Mario Mm -hmm. Lemieux, which is six and six. Six creams, six sugar. Or the Gretzky, which you may know his jersey number, is nine and nine. You know, there's no coffee at that point. It's just cream and sugar in a cup. But, uh... Anyway, there's this mythological thing, and I may be spreading a rumor here because I don't know if this is true, but everybody noticed that there was a sharp decline in coffee quality in Tim Hortons in Canada. Okay. And right okay. around the same time, there was this spike in coffee quality in McDonald's coffee in Canada, which is not the same as the coffee in the States. They are, could not be more different. Okay. Oh, and which is that. so strange. And then it came out, I guess in rumor world anyways, however I got this information, that there was some sort of legal battle where Tim Hortons was, I guess, putting a lot of pressure on their coffee distributor to give them a better price. And McDonald's basically swooped in and was like, we'll pay you this exorbitant amount of money, but we're your exclusive coffee people now. And they took it. So they actually, oh. the, the McDonald's coffee in Canada nowadays is apparently the original Tim Hortons coffee. Okay. Don't know if this is true. Could be spreading rumors, <laughs> but I will say that I do prefer the McDonald's coffee in Canada these days. 
I don't often go to Tim Hortons. But, so. <laughs> I don't know if that's the amount of an answer you expected, but here no, we go. That, that was amazing. exactly what I hoped for. <laughs> yeah. Canadian conspiracy, man. You heard it here first, okay? Uh, <laughs> it's like the Cold War, but it's hot coffee, so it's the hot war. Yeah, that's right. It's a very hot bean war. Uh, one last Canadian question. I think Big Rack is the most underrated band, not only in Canadian history, but probably just in history. Agree wow. or disagree? Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I will disagree. I'll disagree with that. I mean, I, I love your passion for it. I do. I'm not a big fan personally. I, I think it's good. It's good. But, uh, you know, I will say, actually, they are like fairly well rated in Canada. Maybe it's why I don't feel that way. Maybe they're not appreciated yeah, yeah. as much outside, but he's like a Hall of Famer up here and stuff. So he's, you know. <laughs> Thornley I, is I try to be as fun. like evangelical as I can in the States because there's a lot of people in the States that just never really caught wind of him somehow. And I'm like, you got to listen to Albatross. That's the best fucking record. So, <laughs> Man, yeah. we, a couple years ago in Los Angeles, we had like a bunch of people over to the house and we were went down this rabbit hole. Everybody's having beers and we have the studio computer up with the speakers and we're just clicking through this stuff being like, have you heard this one? Have you heard? And it's like, you know, Matthew Goodman and, and Our Lady Peace and, and Moist and like all these bands that we grew up with that we think are iconic. And of course, no American has ever heard of. And unanimously, the vibe in the room was this sucks. Please stop playing it. And we're like, what? <laughs> no. So, yeah, I also anyway am in that position of being evangelical about music that for some reason nobody gives a shit about. That's just how it goes. I think we all have a couple artists under our hat that we feel that way. I will die on that hill, Canadian 90s rock, (laughs) any day. (laughs) Well, dude, we can't thank you enough for being a part of the show and taking the time to be here and everything. You're uh, a fucking great guest, man. Is there anything you want to uh, promote here before we sign off? Any uh, social media hashtags, whatever the kids are doing these days? (laughs) Uh, I mean, you can just, yeah, I mean, if you just Google Blitz Berlin, you can find us. We're on all that stuff, Instagram, Facebook. I'm thinking about starting a TikTok. I don't know. (laughs) everybody's doing it uh so yeah if i start that you heard it here first let's we'll see boom um but yeah man i mean we're we're just you know working away trying to make cool movie music if you're i guess the the main thing to impart is that if you're a director or a creator and you're making cool stuff and you want to collaborate give us a shout man we're not hard to reach and we are guiding light in terms of how we choose projects is purely just like if we think it's cool and if we have time for it. So even if you, you know, have a small budget or whatever, we'd, we'd love to hear from you and, and get to know you. Awesome. Hell yeah, man. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being here. Hope you have a good rest of your day and everybody be sure to check out Blitz Berlin and their collection of awesome music on the Spotify or wherever you like to stream musics. What a nice man. What a lovely man. What a man. What a man. What a mighty, what a good, mighty man. good man. A mighty, mighty good man, I'll say. Uh-huh. That was a good old time. But now, Steve, we're here to talk about the movie itself. Psycho, Goreman, which, dude, I'm, I'm not even going to try to bury the lead here, has seriously become, like, my raging obsession since yeah. I saw it, yeah, like, a couple weeks ago. It's yeah, 10. 11 Done. of 10. 12 of 10. 10 to the 10th power. <laughs> That's like 100, I think. <laughs> it's close it's yeah. close <laughs> it's pretty high pretty big number <laughs> this movie rules dude like i watched it on on amazon um a couple weeks ago and i just went ahead and bought it i didn't even rent it like yeah, i watched the trailer no, and i'm like i'm gonna want to buy this because mm-hmm. i knew i knew just even from watching the trailer like oh yeah i get this movie this movie gets me this is going to be a regular rotation thing yeah and i was not wrong because i think i've watched it 
at least four times since then. It's it's seriously just one of those ones that I've just been turning on any time where it's like, oh, I need to get on the elliptical for a while. I might as well put on Psycho Gore, man. Yep. I'm washing dishes. I always put PG on and just watch it again. Mm-hmm. Fucking loved it. Did it have the same experience on you where you just immediately clicked with it? Yep. Yeah, I remember uh, texting you while watching it and being yeah. like, you have to see this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was obsessed with it immediately from from the moment they start playing crazy ball. It's just like, yep, this is it. I love this movie. Um, and I, yeah, I've, I've watched it so many times since then. You're right. It's worth buying it. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. This movie has uh, uh, is a niche movie, for it sure. Is. There yeah. are people who aren't gonna r- uh, click with it the way we've clicked with it. It is really like it hits uh, certain references for people who were around in the uh, late '80s, early '90s. It, it's it's really going for a lot of things that came from around then. But I think people could still connect with it and still find it hilarious and still enjoy it. But uh, it, it, there's a very niche group that is just going to become obsessed in the same way that we have. I think so, man. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I was saying earlier to you, I was like, yeah, I don't I don't think any boomers would like watching this movie. No. But at the same time, <laughs> like if if, you know, it was a boomer parent that used to really love to sit down and watch movies with their kid and stuff, they would probably watch this and be like, yeah, this reminds me of the crap that you used to watch on Saturday afternoons when you were a kid, and they might enjoy it for that nostalgia's sake. Or if they just have a good sense of humor. I mean, Or that. Yeah, like, uh, you, you definitely can uh, connect with the, the, the jokes and stuff in this without getting all of the things that it's kind of paying homage to or kind of connecting to. It, mm-hmm. It's uh, the... The humor is still solid beyond that. Like, uh, you know, uh, we'll we'll talk about uh, some of the connections this has and inspirations this has, but one of the things that I see in this is, at the very least, Mimi reminds me of Louise from Bob's Burgers. And Bob's Burgers is a very popular show with people of all age groups. I can see people getting into this. Uh, even yeah, if they don't get so. to all of the movies that it's kind of referencing. But if you oh, do, yeah. boy, it's got a whole lot of levels of fun. I'm telling you, man, like it really does feel like it is just a, a love letter to like our childhoods. Like, yeah. It's what you think the movies that you used to watch on Saturday afternoons were like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's got everything. It's like it's got the really cheesy, corny elements to it. It has a monster, it has gore, it has comedy, it has shredding guitar 80 soundtrack. Like, yes. It just kind of has everything that you remember from those movies. But it's way, way more over the top and self-aware and self-referential than those movies were. Because this movie does tread a very fine line of being homage, silly on purpose, but as Martin was saying, like nobody in the movie is treating it silly like nobody in the movie thinks this is a funny movie and that's what makes it so good yeah that's exactly what you want like um i would say like you know uh we do the the screaming chat on on friday nights and uh from watching some of the movies that we've watched a lot of them fall into that late 80s early 90s type of movie that this movie 
definitely draw some inspiration from and like that silly level but also like treating it seriously is kind of how those movies were where it was like I can't believe you know you're watching Samurai Cop and everybody in the movie is acting like this is a serious thing <laughs> yeah right yeah um <laughs> But, like, this does that thing that none of those really ever did well, where all of the actors are charming and you like them. <laughs> That's true, yeah. It's not like watching, like, old trauma flicks where 90% of the cast is just fucking annoying and you hate them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody in this is, like, super charming and funny and, like, really just nails exactly what you want from, from their roles, so... No doubt, man. I think this this has like, and let's go ahead and talk about some of the inspirations that we see in this. Like, yeah, it. Um, I mean, I, I watched some interviews with the uh, the director Steve uh, Kostansky, and I, he mentioned a few things like Masters of the Universe. Okay, totally see it. Absolutely, which uh, uh, Martin mentioned in the interview. Um, I I see it and like d couldn't even once he said it, it's like, oh fuck, how did I miss that? Like, obviously he's talking about the movie but also like just the way that there are so many different characters and character designs that yeah. you would see in masters of the universe um that that would just like as a kid it was like i want that toy immediately like the second they would introduce anything new it was like i want that toy Oh, dude, I have in my notes, I want these action figures. Yes, like these, absolutely. The characters in this. 100%. They, they look like every random They're action so figure cool. that you had laying around. And, and even like, do you remember being a kid back then and you'd buy an action figure that was from a series that you didn't know, weren't familiar with, didn't care about, but you're right. like, that character looks so cool. I got to have that. And it can play and fight against He-Man <laughs> yes. or whatever. You know? Uh -huh. 100%. Dude, I would, man, you, you'd always figure out a way that your toys would play together, even if, like, it was G.I. Joe's and those giant rubber uh, WWF wrestling Yeah, guys. the non-opposable ones that yeah. were just, like, a big, stiff figure. <laughs> yeah, still figure out how they would be playing together. Mostly it would be, he's a giant. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, th there's definitely that. Uh, he mentions E.T., which, yeah, obviously, you see that. Like, a family taking in an alien and kind of dressing him up and having silly moments and whatever though mm. he, he he is the exact opposite of et in that he he comes to destroy the entire universe yeah i was thinking it kind of reminded me of like harry and the hendersons in that way too only yeah yeah harry wasn't out to destroy the entire yes. galaxy <laughs> yes and at no point is there the go get out of here nobody loves go you I'm Jimmy Stewart <laughs> slash uh, John Lithgow. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, also, Rawhead Rex was... Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, because you guys watched that on the, the screaming chat, chat the other yeah. night. I've never seen it. I, I was surprised to hear him... I was surprised and not surprised to hear him mention in an interview, because uh, when I saw the first, like, Psycho Goreman uh, image I saw, for some reason, it reminded me of Rawhead Rex, which I hadn't seen since I was a kid. And then um, uh, Scream and Chatter, uh, I, I believe it was John Benfield, sent me the the uh, a link to Rawhead Rex on, on YouTube, and I was like, well, fuck, we're watching this on yeah. Scream and Chat and watching it again. Uh, it's like... It's so silly to see this, like, huge costumed 
character, like very elaborately costumed character, just interacting with people wearing regular clothes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, big like, rubber suit monster, like not even trying to hide it. Yeah, and I could see the inspiration there for sure. But again, Psycho Gorman, he does, the, the design doesn't look ridiculous at all. It looks exactly what you want it to be. It's like rad and scary, but also like uh, obviously a creature that doesn't fit in the world around it. Yeah, yeah, totally stands out when you put him in normal real world situations right yeah yeah the character designs and the the big foam rubber suits and all that stuff it's so cool. I, I couldn't help but not get power rangers vibes off of it you know like that For had sure. to be in the back of his head which you say power rangers you really mean ultimately every old school japanese monster movie ever yeah yeah exactly i mean uh i definitely see transformers in this i mean specifically in the fact that the uh evil guy that uh that um, uh, double-crossed Psycho Gorman is named Dark Scream. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Star Scream. So totally. It, yeah, it definitely, like, it incorporates all of those sort of 80s action figures, tropes, and, uh, yeah, like, yeah, uh, Power Rangers. Also some Hellraiser in there, I would say, yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. There's a Cen- Cenobite vibe uh, with a lot of these characters, for sure. Definitely. In addition to all those influences and stuff, this movie also just has a ton of references to other stuff from that time period going on, too. And some of them are, like, really overt, and some of them are pretty subtle. Like, for example, like, the the opening, you know, title crawl that we get, which is in just the most perfect 80s, like, sci-fi fantasy font. Like, it looks like it's straight up the font from Legend or something like right. that. It's so perfect. It looks like the back of, like a D&D, you know, Dungeon Master book, and indeed they yes. reference Gygax yeah, right yeah, out of the gate. Yeah, he's from the planet Gygax, which Gary Gygax is one of the creators of D&D. I think there was, there was another guy who basically yeah. got screwed out of it as well. Anyway, as always. Gary Gygax is the creator <laughs> of D&D. And whenever the kids, you know, they, they play their game of, of crazy ball at the start, which, let's be honest... <laughs> Is yes. essentially Calvin Ball from Calvin and Hobbes. Do you yeah, remember Calvin I th- Ball? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, yeah, I think that's probably a, a bit of what the reference is, and it, it and that's exactly what it, like it's. But it's just that thing where as kids you come up with these stupid games with the most outlandish rules. Oh but yeah, we talked about those them. on our uh, um, what was it, Little Monsters episode? Yeah, Little Monsters, I think. Yeah, <laughs> where we talked about games we played as kids. Yeah, and very much so. It, it's just one of those things where, like, as as a kid, like you vaguely get rules of other games, and like you kind of get game theory, and you come up with scores and stuff. But like the moment you start explaining it to an adult, it's like. What? What is that? <laughs> this makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. <laughs> I love to do that scene in the movie where they're explaining the rules uh-huh. uh, <laughs> to everybody. And they're like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah, there's like <laughs> three different sort of crazy ball moments, and and two of them have the explanation scenes. And yeah, you get Psycho Gorman not understanding what's happening, and then she tells it to the the bio cop guy. The zombie cop. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Dude, I can't. This episode can't just be me laughing about how funny this movie I is. I know, so right? I, like, I'm having yeah. a hard time not turning it into that and just doing nothing but quotes the whole time. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> I really did have to stop myself because I was like, I'm just rewriting the script because yeah. I was just writing down every quote. 
Yep, totally, man. Yeah, everybody, you know, nobody understands how to play Crazy Ball, which is hilarious, but it's still such a big part of the movie. And at the end of that first game, the loser has to dig their own grave, yeah. which is so mm-hmm. hilariously fucked up. And it's one of those things I don't think I ever really caught the first time that I watched the movie, but I was like, wait, yeah. the loser has to dig their own grave and be buried alive. Uh-huh. It's fucking <laughs> insane. It. Yeah, it's very Adam's family, like... Yeah, they, they have like, um, like as I said, a Bob's Burger. Like they have sort of a, a Belcher family vibe a little bit. Also, sort of Adam's family vibe with like an opposite parent thing, where the parents aren't madly in love. Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. they like each other, but also they argue all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the game, there, whenever uh, Luke, the little brother that loses the game, has to dig his own grave, they unearth the amulet and the stone and and psycho gore man and all that stuff and that was very much like the gate to me very 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 similar to that Mm -hmm. very much like the gate i love mimi and luke like i really think these two kids like carry it so well yeah surprisingly for kid actors to just like mimi is outlandishly crazy Yes, but she like, is a lunatic. Yeah, but like so much like a child. <laughs> like uh I, I love I love when her mom says kooky ball and she's like it's, <laughs> it's crazy ball. Crazy ball. <laughs> yeah. Like the way she delivers lines is funny like little kid funny and it nails exactly the the tone for the movie. And, dude, that, that's what I can't figure out. Like, that kid, okay, I assume she's probably, what, 11 or so? Probably so, yeah. So she was born maybe 2009, 2010. How does this kid know how to nail the tone of this movie? Like, how does this kid know overblown, ridiculous Saturday afternoon, 80s, 90s movie? How does she get that? I think that's good writing and good casting. One, that's knowing kids, like knowing kid humor. Like... If you were to have a kid come in and to say, like, expect them to be adult and have a very adult sense of humor, that's where, to me, it's always like, how do you find that kid? To find a kid who is just, like, a weirdo is pretty easy. Like, you just have to write the humor for them right. Like, And Mm -hmm. so I, I think this is, like, pretty, like, smart writing, knowing kids and knowing their sense of humor and knowing well then we can easily find or hopefully find somebody who can uh do this in a weird kid way and uh, they did in uh yeah uh, nita josie hannah is fucking so funny she's amazing dude and the thing about it is is like a lot of the negative reviews that i see of this movie relate to people being like god i just couldn't stand the main character i hated mimi i couldn't stand her character and all this stuff and i'm like oh that's ridiculous uh like i don't fucking get it man like the thing about mimi's character that you got to understand is is that like in all of those classic again late 80s early 90s movies that were made for kids even commercials that were aimed at kids and stuff like that Oftentimes, you know, the older brother would be the main character and stuff, but he would have a wackadoo, crazy little sister that would, like, stand up to him and his friends or yeah. not be afraid of the monster, like Monster I mean, Squad and shit like Squad. that. Yeah, th- exactly. like, that's exactly what I look at this as. Like, Mimi is that, that cute little girl from Monster Squad, but instead of just being a cute little girl, she's also an insane person. 
that's the thing, right? Is like that character never got their own movie. They were just always there to like, you know, kick the boys out of the clubhouse and do shit like that. Yeah. But in this case, they were like, what if that was the main character of the movie, the lunatic little sister? <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. It's, it's such perfect. a great idea. And then Luke is such a perfect straight man like yeah totally uh, he and uh, he's underappreciated in this yeah for sure but like uh, he and uh, what's his name alistair alistair yeah they're both playing the straight man character to mimi's insanity and luke luke does such a good job of like always being like understatedly funny like never stealing the scene but like he's funny because he just kind of accepts what's going on same with alistair like he's so overly polite to <laughs> mimi's insanity it's just like <laughs> dude that first scene where we meet alistair out in front of the schoolhouse and she's like i like your little outfit you've got going on there how about giving us a twirl hunky boy <laughs> yeah and he's, he's like, like um uh, no thanks no thanks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so nice and sweet and then yeah. he gets just fucking turned into this oh. living brain creature <laughs> yeah like the boys get shit on so hard in this mimi, so bad it's just like mimi and psycho Goreman are both like this like exact same side of a coin like they're no different it's just that he's got crazy ass powers and she's uh, a 11 year old girl like yeah but then she you know obtains the power to control this thing that has crazy ass powers yeah. and she spends a lot of the movie being like maybe you should kill my brother right <laughs> he's a nutcase dude she's insane Dude, the parallels of their evil, too. Like, I caught more of it this time around watching it and taking notes and stuff. Where, like, there's the part where whenever it shows, like, Psycho Goreman having that flashback about when he got his power and he's he's fighting the Templars and stuff. And he has yeah. that, like, Templar cross in his hand and he crushes it. And then later on in the movie, Mimi breaks a cross over yeah. her knee. <laughs> God, that is such Dude, a brilliant scene, man. It's so good, man. And also, too, like, talk about shit that I never would have thought would be in this movie. Like, it got to that part where she she kneels down in front of the cross and starts praying and it, like it has that close up of Jesus on the cross and stuff and I was like oh like is this that's weird is this why going is like this inspirational yeah. but then she's like I don't even know why I'm asking I'm gonna do what I want yeah well, she she <laughs> she asked him what sh uh, uh, sunglasses, what sunglasses she, she should yeah. wear and then just decides herself <laughs> any fucking way and then breaks the cross yeah it's, yeah it's like there's a new god in town yeah. it's Psycho Goreman yeah. <laughs> it smashes cross over and he, I was like. Like, I love this movie. Like, at that point, I was like, this movie was seriously just fucking written with me in mind. Yeah, it tickled me genius. so much, man. Yeah. So much. Oh, but yeah, her character is ridiculous. And like I said, just nailing that tone of like, it's cheesy on purpose, but your character doesn't think she's in a cheesy movie. Yeah. That is an oddly specific tone to nail down because I think it would be easy for this to come off as like very like you know, we're trying to make this throwback and cheesy and nostalgic, but it really doesn't come off that way. It feels like they tried to make a serious movie and it just turned out kind of silly by accident. Right. Yeah. They, it's got that perfect feel of like, like, yeah, no, it's like, it feels like nobody behind the scenes is necessarily snickering, but also like, you know, that everything is perfectly chosen so they are they are laughing they're laughing yeah, totally. their asses off 
but yeah, yeah it has just the full feel of like full serious movie and i think i like some of the some of the criticisms i read of it almost felt like that's how they took it like as a yeah, fully totally. serious movie like and it is i guess like it's serious <laughs> in its very humorous message of this is really funny what if a crazy ass dude who wanted to destroy the universe was kind of the hero of a movie <laughs> but at the same time like i don't feel like kostansky and everybody else that made this flick was like trying to make fun of all these things that were in our childhood like Like, it it doesn't feel like parody it feels like that yeah it it does like i think it's made with total admiration of stuff like masters of the universe but while also acknowledging how fucking cheesy and silly it is i mean you could say the same thing about one of his other flicks that he worked on the void where like that movie is very much a love letter to 80s horror and hellraiser and it's people in rubber suits it's not cgi it's dark and there's not necessarily a ton of story why haven't we done that on the show yet (laughs) well i said let's let's go ahead and talk about uh uh, steve kostansky by the way solid name steven spells it right even oh he does doesn't he yeah um so yeah, I I rewatched The Void this week because we've both talked about how much we like it and um rewatched it and man, I I think it's still really solid, really yeah. good and exactly what you're saying. Now, he he co-directed that one. Uh, mm-hmm. and it it was kind of a departure from stuff he'd done up to that point like Manborg and Father's Day and the Biocop short and stuff uh which were more humorous. So it was like a real serious kind of picture you know there's no real like humor in the void and so it, it, if you look at some of his other stuff uh biocop or not biocop but uh manborg we talked about in the interview a little bit like go back and watch some of that stuff you're gonna love it dude mm, i'm telling okay. you uh but yeah the void will have to cover it's it's got like Hellraiser vibes, uh, you know, uh, cosmic horror, all that type of stuff. Definitely. Also, he directed Leprechaun Returns. I want to hear about this because I, uh, confession, I've never watched any of the Leprechaun movies, so I don't even know what? how to say like, does it stand up to the first one? Because I've never fucking seen the first one. How is that possible? I don't know, man. We've been doing a fucking horror podcast for like. Four years. Yeah, put it in the bowl, man. I gotta watch it. I know we've already missed like uh, St. Patty's Day, probably, right? But um, yeah, you need you need to see Jennifer Aniston's horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta see Rachel in action against a little leprechaun. I mean, are those movies any good? And how does his entry into the franchise stand up? Okay, so like, Leprechaun is basically like quippy Freddy. Um, so he's always making little, you know, snide comments and things and, and, and stupid jokes and puns. Um, it really catches its wind in Leprechaun in the hood, I think. Um, but it's as a series, I, I don't know if you, if you really get into, the first one maybe maybe you'll you'll like it it gets real silly he goes to space it's all insane <laughs> Leprechaun, we all know what it means for a horror franchise whenever the villain ends up in space right <laughs> exactly leprechaun returns was uh kind of because 
It came out in 2018, the same year as Halloween 2018, and kind of does the same thing. Okay. Where it's yeah. like, well, no, this is just a sequel to the first one, the original. Okay, cool. Um, but it's also a sci-fi channel movie, so not the highest budget or production values. But, I, you know, honestly, uh, of all the Leprechaun sequels I've seen, it's probably the, the one that uh, is least terrible. All right. Other than Leprechaun in the Hood. Leprechaun in the Hood is terrible, but it's also awesome. Does it have all the kind of things that we expect from Kostansky as far as like practical effects, rubber suit monsters, stuff like that? Yeah, a lot of practical. Yes, a lot of great practical effects for sure. I, I would say like um, it's not it's not as funny as, as most of his movies for sure. I don't think he wrote the script for it, though, either. Um, the, yeah, the, the humor's OK. Mm-hmm. It's like Leprechaun level humor and, and it's fine, but it's mostly not too great it it is very much just a leprechaun movie so we need to get you introduced to that series we do yeah it's not amazing or anything but we might as well we do do a horror podcast i mean between like the the serious cosmic horror that we saw in the void and then just the nostalgia tip of the hat madness comedy that is this movie i'm i'm totally hooked like this is a guy that I want to stay tuned to and watch anything that he is working on because I'm sold. Like he, he gets it. Like he totally gets like very funny what we want to see in new movies. Like unlike other, you know, horror directors that are making stuff that's just full of fucking CGI and garbage that like old school horror fans do not want to see at all. This guy's like, you know what? Rubber suits are still sick. So let's they just really do that. They really are still sick. Like these look awesome. The they stuff awesome. is great. And let's talk about, um, cause this introduces so many characters without like ever giving you the full backstory or telling you exactly who be- is who. Oh yeah, man. The creature designs are nuts and they're super, super varied too. Like it doesn't feel like they picked one sort of like design. Like let's say all the, all the creatures look kind of like psycho Goreman. like right. Some, some department here in the special effects had to just have the most fun ever having a drunken weekend, designing all these random ass characters. Like what this really feels like to me is almost like some of the flicks that you used to watch, you know, way back in the past where you'd have some weird standout creature that didn't really feel like he belonged there. But then you just find out like, Oh, they, that that suit was in the special effects closets. They thought it looked cool, so they put it in the movie. Like that's what the creatures in this feel like. They're super random and bizarre. Like oh yeah, Dark Scream looks like a damn dark elf from like Legend or something. And then you got Cassius three thousand, who looks like he <laughs> is a he's like a villain in an RPG. Yeah, totally. And he has a robot he's like bird. A, he's not even like the boss. He's a mini boss. Like, yep. Yeah, and there's just like unexplained shit. Like he he has a robot face and a robot bird, but then when he gets his face ripped off, he's got like eyeballs and teeth and shit in there. Like <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Also, don't care. It's fucking sick. No, it's the best. Yeah, uh, I I love. I think the the character that stood out to me the most for some reason is Queen Obelisk. Who is the one who has a rose for a heart that when oh, he crushes she's the one, this- Dude, she's like a walking graveyard. Like, she is <laughs> a graveyard as a character. She's covered in, like, moss 
and gravestones and shit. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, so much character development in such a brief moment when he just like rips out that rose and then crushes it, and she dies. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> but then at the same time, like that kind of character design and stuff speaks to you so fast yeah, where you're so like quick. Yeah. okay for one he knew that that's where her weak spot was because this was his like band of of cohorts that he formed right. so he knew he knew the weak spot and then when he reaches in and grabs that rose it's like it activates something in your brain that's like oh like in beauty and the beast that's the source of the curse or some crazy <laughs> right? shit like your yeah. brain explains what's going on so fast, yeah. even though we're given literally no details yeah. about that character at all. It's the same when you see all the people sitting around the table, like uh, yes. uh, Cortex, who's uh-huh. the brain in a jar, and oh, Hiss, it, dude, which best. is just a snake. And the one that looks like a tardigrade, kind of. like Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You see that and you're like, oh, this is a council of some sort. Like, your brain uh-huh. just fills it all in without having everything explained to you. I know, dude. It, it works really well, I think. It's all, like, familiar enough stuff that you feel like you've probably seen that in some other movie, and you kind of know the backstory already. Yeah. Even though it's just been introduced in this world, and you've been given zero explanation at all about it. Dude, all the stuff with the council is so fucking funny, too, man. Them like... Yeah. Eating those bluegulls. It's like just blue noodles, <laughs> I guess. Pass those bluegulls. <laughs> and then, dude, at the very end, whenever they realize that, like, Psycho Gorman's coming from them and they're like, we got an act plan B or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> One of them puts a revolver on the table, like yeah. a planet Earth revolver because their yeah. plan is, I guess we'll just kill ourselves. Suicide. And Cortex <laughs> raises his hand immediately. Like, all yeah, right. Yeah, he's like, me first. Yep, yeah, me, please. <laughs> But, dude, how dumb is it that he has a fucking snub-nosed revolver? It's, it's not so like fucking a laser. ridiculous. So funny. <laughs> oh, man. It's so fucking awesome, man. But, yeah, you're right. Like, the character designs are just so all over the place. And yeah. one of my favorites is definitely the guy that's just, like, a big bucket of gore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that's Death Trapper. I think that's the name. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's insane. There's a special feature thing that you can find on YouTube. I watched this. Of, yeah, you told yes, me about yes. it. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And they kind of have like a little bit of backstory about the characters. And they're like, yeah, Death Trapper is this guy that like cleans up the battlefields and throws corpses inside of yeah. his big jug, and he reduces them down into toxic and then waste. Shoots the gore out. And it's yeah. cool that like they thought that stuff up because really their explanations of these characters sound like the stuff that would be on the back of the. Uh, of the cardboard package that the yeah, action figure came exactly. with. Yeah, like, you remember He-Man would come with little comic books inside that would, like, tell you Briefly the, a little brief yeah. story about them or whatever. And, yeah, same with, like, yeah, it would be, like, the G.I. Joes or Transformers or whatever. Yeah, you get this, like, tiny bit of story. And that was, like, that was, like, this real different form of storytelling where you had this very little bit of information you could fit on the pack and it had to be like readable by kids but you're also like trying to form this world so the kids are super interested in buying the other uh characters and and making them all have this like battle or whatever you gotta establish the relations establish the world all in this like brief period 
Dude, I'm telling you what, now the more that I'm thinking about it, especially as us people that grew up in this time period and adored those things are like becoming adults and running the world and shit now. Yeah. I'm just thinking the same way that like Twitter really invented like the microblog. I Uh think that our thing, trademark dead and lovely, you heard it here first. Okay. Our thing is going to be microfiction where (laughs) we become (laughs) authors of microfiction, which is where we just design a character and an action figure and instead of writing a story or a novel or a comic book, we just have to write like a short blurb that would fit on the back of a cardboard package about that character. And that is like Dude, the new books. <laughs> that is absolute genius. Though I will say that most of Twitter is people making up a person to be mad at and then yeah. a bunch of people fighting about whether or not to be mad at that person. So I would say Twitter is already microfiction. <laughs> True. That's fair enough. If it's done right, it is. Yeah, but it would be way more fun if it was like, but actually he's from Eternia. What? (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. Let me buy the rest of the set. (laughs) Microfiction. Yeah, I I love it, man. And and again, the fact that they're all rubber suit monsters, like they, they chose to not go CG with it. Yeah, it's so solid. Yeah. And the thing about it is too, man, is like when you watch this, are you very aware that you're watching people in rubber suits? Absolutely. You absolutely will not forget it. You got a a bucket of gore parts shooting blood out. Like, <laughs> also, I love that that doesn't really seem to do anything no, other than just kind all. of disgrace. Just him. is gross. That's it. <laughs> That's kind of it. <laughs> but then at the same time, like, if you watch this movie. And you say to yourself, ah, oh, man, this would be so much better if it was CG and their mouth movements match no up way. with what they're saying. There's no way. Like, you might be a redneck in that case. Like, really. <laughs> you might be missing the point entirely if you think a CGI uh, blue screen monster would make this better. You're wrong. It's just perfect the way that it is. No, it, yeah. And, and I want more of this universe for sure. And I want yeah. it to continue to be on the same level of, like, like it, it's just like... I remember, by the way, I remember when um, Power Rangers came out, I was actually probably too old to like it. I was just on the cusp, yeah. Yeah, so like instantly it was like, no, this is stupid. And then I watched it a little bit and I was like, this is pretty rad. I'm into (laughs) this. Yeah, I was also right there where I was like, "Just, just getting to be a little too old to be into it, but I would still watch it just to see the bad guy that week because I wanted yes. to see the character design because yeah, it was like exactly. living comic books or living action figures. Like, I still thought that it was cheesy, but I wanted to see what the bad guy would look like. And this movie indulges the fuck out of that. We absolutely do not need the uh, the abs- like the, the, the realist looking or like full uh, encapsulation of a fantasy world created out of whole cloth on a computer. Uh, just some some fucked up foam costumes out in the woods in the middle of nowhere. Just yep. fighting a battle where you're just kind of like randomly hitting with a, a foamy sword or whatever. And it's yeah, still and like awesome. a snap zoom is doing the work for you, really. Exactly. And it's still awesome. It's still perfect because it's telling a really fun story and you don't really care so much uh, that it's it's not the most realistic because it is it is kind of even more realistic because just imagine 
Psych like, you think about the Psycho Goreman costume. Uh, like, let's get rid of uh, a bucket full of gore parts. Think about the Psycho Goreman costume. It yeah. practically looks like a thing that could exist. True. And then you put it into the real world, and it's like, this is what this would look like in the real world. Like, Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You put that on Planet Gygax, and it looks cool as shit, and it blends in. But right. you put it out on the streets or out in the woods, and you're like, oh, yeah, it looks fucking stupid here. Yeah, it looks weird as fuck. Why? That sticks out very strangely. Yeah, it's it's like... I love that it embraces that instead of uh, trying to always show your your creatures in their exact like perfect color environment that makes them look super cool. You're yeah. putting them in the real world and it's like, oh yeah, this would look silly. This would look ridiculous. Well, that's ultimately something that I thought that was fun about the Thor movies is whenever it shows, you know, uh, Thor and the Asgardians walking around the streets and stuff. Right. It's like, well, and yeah, they like, look what silly. The fuck? Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Like, they look totally normal in Asgard, where it looks super weird and fantasy, and the entire thing is CG anyway. They blend in there. Right. But you put them on the streets, and you're like, oh, yeah, the capes and stuff like that are a little yeah, much. That's, that's odd. <laughs> this movie just embraces that and goes with it. Yeah. And I love how little, like, like, our main characters don't react much to any of it. <laughs> Let's talk about anybody reacting to nearly anything right. in this movie, because that's part of what makes it so fucking funny to yeah. me, man. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, we've talked about the kids. We might as well talk about the mom and dad. We got Greg and Susan, and uh, they're, they're great. They're hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Greg is the best do-nothing dad Absolutely. Ever absolutely Ever. and i love when he's on the toilet having that argument with her in his head and he's like i have a ba in english what do you have <laughs> like, <laughs> dude and the thing the thing about greg in this movie too is like whereas everybody else is existing in this like crazy sci-fi fantasy horror movie he seems to be in like maybe a lifetime flick or something like that where he, like whenever his wife like fusses at him about messing up the microwave cooking that microwave chicken he does like the like oh yeah welcome with like a single tear <laughs> and then early on in the movie you get like i think humans are the real monsters like what movie is he in he's, he's insane yeah <laughs> yeah and, and it's like it um the the way they set him up too that like makes you maybe understand or, or kind of get him and be on his side. Not not that you're ever on his side in relation to his arguments with his wife, because she's yeah. right. Oh, he clearly sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he sucks. Which, the thing is, too, though, is, like, to be completely honest, a lot of us, like, kids that grew up in the 80s were raised by our moms. Oh, I know well, I was. Absolutely. So it's like, it's, yeah. I totally get it. Like, this is realistic 80s dad. Sorry. But for him to even be there is like, wow. <laughs> yeah, cool. really, right? Yeah. Um... <laughs> But yeah, no, like uh, the way that um, the way that he interacts with Mimi makes you like him because she likes him and yeah. you like her. And when you think about it, <laughs> when you watch this movie and you're done with it and you really reflect on it, the people that you like in this movie are terrible. They're the worst. horrible. They're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> they're the worst. <laughs> and they're so awesome. And you love them. You love Mimi. You love uh, Psycho Gorman. 
you end up loving uh greg so much he's he's terrible he sucks as a husband as a dad he doesn't do much but he's funny and you like him oh yeah dude the way it just draws you into that is just awesome i love i love it it really is man and and you're exactly right like ultimately at the end of the day our hero of the movie Psycho Goreman is actually the fucking worst. Like, this is not E.T. This is not right. Harry and the Hendersons. This isn't Terminator 2, no. where it's like, hey, mom and dad, I've befriended this thing that's scary. It looks like a monster, but he just wants love. <laughs> no, no, he wants to destroy the universe. <laughs> that's his entire goal. And even, like, the people that he has to fight in the movie are ultimately trying to do the right thing and kill him because he wants to destroy the fucking but galaxy. they also fucking suck. So this is, oh, this is why, okay, this is why I think this movie is kind of really genius, and I think probably yeah. its best message, because, like, mostly the message is, think of how funny this is, and look at all these funny things, and this is fun. Yeah, have fun. Yeah. yeah. But I think there is, a, a, at the heart of it, a, a bit of a message, and that is that Psycho Goreman was in a situation uh as a slave to these uh these uh 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 what are the paladins? Templars are Templars uh the, as a slave to these Templars who worship this crazy insane religion or whatever and just uh enslave people to service their religion and he got enough power to overcome them and he saw that life was bullshit and wants to just destroy it all yeah and these people relate to him so much and I think so many of us do that we just look at the world and we're like, fuck, life is bullshit. What if uh, it just it. ended? And so Psycho Gorman kind of embraces this idea of like nihilism, but like with a smile uh, where it's just like, yeah, who gives a fuck? Uh, let's just enjoy ourselves. Absurdity. Just all of this is, is all we really need is just some fun, ridiculous monsters and some silly kids and some jokes. Yeah. Well, and too, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, at the end of the movie, whenever they've saved Psycho Goreman and Psycho <laughs> Goreman has saved them from being destroyed and stuff, he's like, now I understand the power of love uh -huh. and I will use it to destroy the galaxy. And he, but, you know, but they're like, but you're going to keep us safe, right? And he's like, uh, yeah, I guess so. Like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And then he opens up that portal and immediately begins destroying their town. And at the end of the movie, on the news, as Alistair and his parents are eating dinner, it's showing footage of Psycho Goreman destroying <laughs> yeah. everything. Like, this doesn't end well <laughs> at all, but the family doesn't care because, well, they're gonna—he's gonna keep them alive. Sure, <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, I lo I love that. Like, he he explodes a child in this movie. He does with hesitation. Yeah, he turns another child into just a brain with some tentacles. And, <laughs> like, Poor Alistair. He is, he is not likable at all, but at no point am I ever like, I don't like that guy. The whole time you're like, yeah, uh-huh, I'm Fuck with you. Fuck yeah, dude. Uh -huh. Oh my god, it's so good. And he's also like constantly wanting to kill Mimi and Luke. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> again, it's not Harry and the Hendersons where like, no. don't be scared of him, he's a gentle creature it's like no he's trying to kill them the whole time yeah he's he has that speech to the parents where he's like i am being designed only to kill <laughs> yeah. i will kill you i he think maybe like so many maybe he's like there's no reason to be afraid and he's like be afraid be afraid <laughs> yes <laughs> and dude all that shit we're like Man, like whenever Alistair, Alistair is just so fucking polite and sweet the whole movie just he's leaving kid. 
And he's like, it was nice to meet you. <laughs> I go, Gore's like, it would be nicer if you were dead. <laughs> um, okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> uh, but then at the same time, the way that, like, Mimi isn't phased by him at all. And no. even the way the parents aren't phased by him no. at all, man. <laughs> it totally mimics, again, that reaction that's in so many of those childhood flicks where people are just kind of not all that phased to be around right. this space monster or the fact that yeah. this kid is now going to live his entire life as a big brain. <laughs> like <laughs> Nobody gives a shit that Alistair's a big brain now. <laughs> also, why did Psycho even... Goreman turn him into a big brain? Because, like... Fucking Mimi was just like, I just want him to be a good companion and to stay around. And he's like, yeah. I don't know, giant brain. <laughs> giant brain, I guess. It just seems 80s to be turned into a giant brain. It so does. that's what you're going to be. It does. And it's it's a solid <laughs> choice. It is. <laughs> oh, my God. And his parents just like having dinner with him at the table. at the very Yeah, end. no mention <laughs> like, of it. They don't ever look at him or anything. I, I get that. Probably be hard to eat with a big brain sitting next to you, but <laughs> but there's just so little reactions to stuff. Even like, for example, like uh, like the cop and stuff that we get the the bio cop, which also yeah. self reference. I mean, we're talking about references in this flick. Kostansky referencing his own work and putting the bio cop in this. Solid. I love Dude, that. That's a good whenever. Choice. Yeah, whenever the cops just show up on the scene, they see Psycho Gorman with kids, and they just start shooting at him. Yeah, immediately. Immediately. It's <laughs> so Psycho Gorman turns the one into the bio cop who just spends the rest of the movie just trying going, to <laughs> trying to kill himself. <laughs> he keeps trying to kill himself. He gives her that Valentine that says, "Please oh. kill me," and she says, "Waste of a perfectly beautiful card." Like, Dude, that's the thing. That's another like Hellraiser nod. She's like, what a waste of beautiful card. Yeah, it's just so <laughs> fucking like, I mean, the absurdity of it, but also like you're you're right. Like the way that people don't react to things and the way that it just kind of embraces the, the slight cheesy. Like when he blocks those bullets, he does the Wonder Woman block. Totally. Like, yeah, gauntlets up kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. It's just yep. ridiculous and like but yeah, I I I never at any point question it. I, and I think it just as we said, it it hits in a certain niche that like some people are going to be instantly obsessed with this movie. Totally. And I I think like I mean my wife is uh, is um a bit younger than me. And she instantly connected with it too. So I think I think maybe it's a, a, a wider range than we assume, but um, it could be. I I also think that it just hits on levels like um, if you don't know the homage and stuff, like I I think it could hit on the same levels like Napoleon Dynamite or Nacho Libre or even Lonely Island stuff where it's like the absurdity works even if yeah, you don't totally. know what the the similarities it has to all these other things uh the absurdity just works yeah i agree man and the cool thing about it is too is like there's ultimately stuff in this that even though it is silly and ridiculous is like cool as shit like even at the first of the movie whenever uh psycho gorman goes into the old shoe factory <laughs> i remember <laughs> when they used to make shoes here <laughs> and he finds those bums and like he 
he curses that one guy to like immortal life and like his eyeballs just spin endlessly yes. in his head and he's like frozen in place. Oh yeah, and then Luke fucking kills him, <laughs> which he has no reaction to. Like yeah. Luke killed a guy. He did. And the guy's crushed head says thank you. <laughs> Very Hellraiser with all the just like scattered pieces of face meat and stuff laying yes. all around there. It's oh so my god. awesome. Yeah. It's so awesome. Also, too, man, the fact that Kostansky dug so deep into the nostalgia well that he was like, okay, there's going to be these bums that have just been robbing a place. They should have a bunch of pewter cups and silverware because that's what people were always right. stealing back in the day always. in movies. What are you going to steal from a house? Pewter cups, duh. Yeah, that's the that's the money item. I mean, there weren't fucking, you know, IMAX and stuff in every home back then, so you stole the pewter, I I guess. Yeah, out on the street like, hey man, you need pewter cups? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like the little stuff like that that makes you go, oh yeah, okay, this guy definitely knows, you know, the feel of these movies from this era. And why, and why these things are silly. Like, what what this stuff that, like, all these assumptions that were made in movie world that are just ridiculous that we kind of just went with, but then yeah, when you, you become an it. adult, you watch it and you're like, wait, why? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, dude. There's so many little things in this too that are so low-key funny that you only even really think about and laugh about after the fact. Like, There's obviously a lot of things in this flick that are just out and out hilarious, but then there's things you you really catch like the more that you watch the movie where like like for example psycho gourmet can never remember luke's name never <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason got, yeah he Mimi's never brother. remembers his name uh yeah <laughs> that's boy that, like he just doesn't boy, yeah he can't connect who he is for some reason <laughs> yeah it's just, everything just kind of like luke everything falls on luke and he just kind of shrugs it off like okay like just, yeah he's, he's, he's such a great straight man really really awesome throughout this yeah and I love the way that Mimi is constantly interrupting these like crazy badass flashbacks and stuff that Psycho yeah. Gorman is at. Just constantly interrupts. And, like she doesn't <laughs> really care. She's not really all that interested. Like in that that diner scene and stuff. Yeah, the, yes, he's about to tell what looks like the coolest story, and she yeah. just interrupts it immediately. Yeah, yeah. Like they made like models of those characters and stuff of like when he was fighting that monster at the battle of whatever. Yeah, and she just interrupts it for us also like why is she always calling luke fat the whole movie like she calls him fat through <laughs> the whole thing. Weird thing i don't know like she, why she's just a bully she's just a jerk uh but hilarious like the the characters uh, the thing that like um kind of hit with me with the character she kind of reminds me of my own wife like <laughs> The the part where the, he's telling the story and then she just spits out the candy and she's like, "What? There's a weird candy. There's weird candy. <laughs> that was my wife. That was my wife for sure." Like, oh man. And uh, I I I think that it's a very charming sort of evil, like yeah. just like uh, Louise <laughs> Belcher, where she is evil and malevolent, but just this charming evil where you never ever hate the character. I'm surprised to hear that some people just don't get into the character i know there's to me there's just something that's just so lovable about like a little girl with the will to dominate and crush all yes. reality like that's the best to me and yeah. it totally works man there's so much stuff in this flick that you know instantly became a part of my daily 
lexicon and my daily speech and stuff where like I'll be honest with you, the first time that I watched this movie, I was just sitting there on the couch being like, This is the best. I love this. This is totally made for me. Like I honestly didn't laugh out loud that much whenever I watched the movie the first time. Um Upon uh, subsequent views, I laughed out loud a lot. But the first time that I watched it, I was just so wrapped up in the characters and the design and the story and stuff that I didn't really laugh out loud all that much. But then the very next day, everything that came out of my mouth was talking about uh, (laughs) hunky boys and it's it's crazy ball and all this other just, yeah, frig off. Like all this shit just instantly entered my vocabulary after seeing this movie once, man. That shit, dude... I'm serious. Whenever it gets to that part where they've got him in the warehouse and they, they bring him some magazines and a TV <laughs> to keep him occupied. And she's like, sorry, we couldn't get you any pornos. Like, sorry, she's we like, didn't bring any a little kid. What? <laughs> but she gives him the, the fucking magazine as the, the dude with his shirt off. She's like, well, look at all the hunky boys. <laughs> I do not care about hunky boys. Or do, do I? I? <laughs> Dude, the slow like zoom and yeah. the expression on his face is so <laughs> fucking genuine. And that's played so straight. God damn it. It's hilarious. And then later on at the end of the movie, when he has that callback, whenever he sees that the blood has got all over the magazine and he gets super no, pissed, he's like, my hunky, my hunky boys. boys. <laughs> hunky boys, hunky dude. Hunky boys, yeah. Fuck, man. Oh, and two, like, in that same scene, right, right, right after he says, "Or am I?" Mm-hmm. I think it's like uh, it's either Luke or Alistair's. Like, can I ask you a question? And he's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Just like two of the funniest lines in the movie, yeah. back to back. I was like, "Okay, this movie's a 10. and it was like ten minutes into the flick at that point. I think. Um, it was, okay, so yes, it, it was that scene. Like, I, I was, I was laughing, uh, but it, it was that scene. Like when they leave. And Alistair is like, it was nice meeting you. (laughs) uh, Whatever he said. And he's like, it would be better if you were dead. Um, Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. I I, uh, uh, recorded that and sent that to Emily immediately. Because I was like, this is is just genius. This is really funny shit that I I have to share with somebody. And she immediately was like, what is that? I want to see that. Um, It... I, I think that scene, yeah, it does just set a full tone because of the way the kids aren't reacting fully to this yeah, big totally. scary monster. And, like, the way they're kind of pushing him around and not really treating him, like, uh, with the gravitas that his stories have, etc. And also, yeah, this silly... <laughs> He's so absur- serious. Yeah, and this silly absurdity of the hunky boys. And then, like, he makes the TV bleed as he communicates with his, like, totally. followers or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And, dude, Mimi has so many lines in this that are fucking hilarious, too. Like, there's that scene early on where they're doing their, like, Morse code speech. And, by the way, Luke (laughs) is totally standing in front of a poster that is totally mimicking the burning. burning. Yeah, it says... Absolutely. uh, What does it say? It's like the hacker or slasher or something like that. Like, it's not the burning. It's something else. Yeah, but it had to do with fire. I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's just, like, a great, like, subtle homage right there. But Fireman, it said. There it is, the yeah. Burning. Like yeah. earlier, whenever they were out there digging that hole, Luke was like, "Is this where they buried Grandma?" And you're like, "What the <laughs> fuck are they talking about?" And she Morse codes out in that scene. She's like, "I told you, Grandma is burning in hell forever." <laughs> like, yes, 
holy fuck, what, dude? And then like later on, she's like, I don't trust cops. Not one bit. <laughs> so badass, yeah. And one of my favorites is when she walks in the warehouse. Oh, man. She's like, show yourself or I'll break you into a pile of bones? <laughs> no, Question that mark? doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she she's like the the character is just so specific too. Like I, I like how it, it it is not this traditional sweet cute little girl character from the the time period. There would be the the either sweet cute little girl or the spunky girl, tomboy kind of character. Right, and she she is she is uh, just an insane person. Like she is yeah. a, a child <laughs> who is crazy and wants to control everything and has literally no regard for anyone else's feelings or, or whatever. It's, she is just this outrageous character. I love it. Yeah, me too, man. And the thing about this flick, too, that I think makes it so perfect and just so perfectly encapsulates that era of movies that we watched when we were kids, even though this movie doesn't ever specify a time period. You just kind of no, get the impression doesn't. that it's late 80s, early 90s. But at the same time, it doesn't do like the House of the Devil thing where it's like, let's make it literally look like this was made in 1980. Like, it looks like a modern movie. Yeah. But the tone is just absolutely like old school flicks. And of course, that includes things like putting in a fucking montage. <laughs> a dope-ass montage with... Uh, uh, the 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 uh, fashion montage as well. You got to coming out, trying out a bunch of different outfits and stuff. I love that Alistair tries on just different hats because that's all he yep. can wear. Because <laughs> he's a brain. He's just a big brain. That's it, man. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, they they just have the like him coming out in different outfits and them giving the thumbs down, etc. And he ends up on the the <laughs> Sam Elliott from Jurassic Park. Um, Sam Neill costume or Sam Neill sorry from uh, Jurassic Park uh, <laughs> although costume. I would love to see Sam Elliott in Jurassic Park I would kind of love to see that too I yeah. heard till they got raptors <laughs> and sarsaparilla <laughs> I'd be okay with that dude I didn't even realize it whenever I watched it the first time that he was totally dressed like Dr. or he was totally dressed like Dr. Grant yeah in those scenes it was like I think I saw it just like in a meme or something the next day where I was like, yeah, he's dressed like that guy from Jurassic Park. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why? Like, there's no reason for him nope. to be dressed like that. Nope. Except God. that it's awesome. <laughs> it's so good, man. And another thing that I love about this flick that they did that was also just rampant in all those movies from that era is having some ridiculous heartwarming callbacks at the end of the movie. That was something that was set up earlier in the flick. Now, in a lot of like classic movies, you just have one little thing that was set up at the first of the movie that comes back at the very end to be like, oh, you know, the final line that the hero says before he de defeats the villain or whatever. But this movie is like, what if we had like a hundred callbacks at the very end of the <laughs> flick? Like the Morse code thing would be enough. Like they, they communicate with their Morse code tapping and stuff there at the very end. They do the the family version of Frig Off, the uh -huh. little song that they do together, which P.S. <laughs> in the montage when they have the band scenes and I guess they've taught Psycho Gorman how to play drums. <laughs> God damn it, it's so stupid. I love it, man. 
Yeah. It's so stupid. So they do the Morse code. They do the song. The switcheroo and crazy ball ends up being like the real crux of the movie. This battle between intergalactic like space monsters and stuff. They end up playing crazy ball. Get the butt bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. She brings out the Luke killer ball at the end because she's going to murder her brother because she's actually evil. She is entirely. Yeah. <laughs> After that, Luke spits out that line about like, I guess humans are the real monsters. Uh-huh. That comes back. And then also the warrior's death comes back at the end, too. Yes. <laughs> Which, I mean, that seems to have some inspiration from that uh, uh, in Dream Warriors, right? The the uh, dream that um, Patricia Arquette has where Freddy starts to eat her. Oh, yeah. It's like the big snake kind of thing. Yeah. Huh? It seems to have about some that. sort of inspiration from that, maybe. But, like, it's... I love that just tidbit of exposition about a warrior's death being and he eats he eats two people he <laughs> entirely ingests two people yeah it's that he insane. does and just like spits out all the blood and just a big wave I gotta say though, like I love how they shot those scenes too. Like when he's out in the woods and he's he's eating. Is it is it Dark Scream or somebody? Yeah, Dark Scream. Uh huh. And it just kind of shows that like he almost has like this huge like tarp that his jaw sort of extends out into to like swallow up the person. And it's like you only see it for a second. Like you can't really put it together in your head and be like, oh okay, I see how they did that effect or. Or anything like that. You're just like, what the fuck is happening? He's just swallowing this guy whole and his jaw is gigantic now. And then the scene is over. And you're like, what the fuck did he just do? <laughs> yeah. It's done so well, man. And just so smart. And that's what you have to do whenever you're doing practical effects and stuff. You got to know how to hide it. Yeah. And uh, absolutely everything looks great. It's exactly yeah. what you would expect it to look like. Uh, and it's shown in clear daylight most of the time. Which is like ballsy. You know that yeah. you're you have a lot of faith in the look of your effects if you're just showing them out in daylight a lot. Yeah, definitely, man. Did you like the uh the phantasm nod in there whenever he visits Luke in his dream and it's like he's in the bed <laughs> yes. in the middle of like a graveyard and there's things crawling towards him? It's absolutely just straight out <laughs> so of phantasm. phantasm. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, ah. that that and that's just so it's such a funny when Luke turns him down and then they just have to sort of wait out the dream. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just <laughs> oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I, I would love just to see more of this. Like, I don't know if, if a sequel would mean the continuing adventures of Mimi and Psycho Goreman. I mean, ultimately, the end of this movie is the end of the galaxy because they have unchained sure. the greatest evil the world has ever seen. So it's like. I don't know if he could do that, but like I, I totally want to see more stuff in this universe. Like, give me the, the old stories yes. of him. Give me the stories of his galactic battles yeah. and shit. Um, it could even or be just, something uh, else entirely. Spiritual sequels, yeah, like some stuff that has the same tone or the same. Like, it, it uh, presumes that all those other things also exist. Yeah, that's totally fine. I would absolutely watch that, man. I would also absolutely watch a ridiculous, over-the-top, R-rated. Uh, Steve Kostansky Power Rangers movie. I mean, yes. if, if he ever got his hands on that property and they'll let that him go awesome. wild that and he got to so make a rad. movie for, yeah, for like adults that watched yeah. that when they were kids and they were like, yeah, just do whatever you want. 
Oh my god, it would be the actual best. Oh yeah, I don't know who would put the money into that, but whoever they are, get on it. Do it. Yeah. I'd give you my dollar papers for sure. And <laughs> I mean, obviously as we talked about during our, our interview uh section of the show there, the, the soundtrack is just fucking awesome. Oh yeah. Great so soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, we we just talked about it so long I didn't even think about it. But yeah, like absolutely everything works so good as we said Frigoff, there's the the rap over the, oh, the credits which rap. is so perfect perfect uh yeah and then er- yeah everything else though the just like the the score stuff is so good especially you know the the real dark like space scenes and whatnot really fun uh really awesome soundtrack man yeah i agree Man, I I just love it. Like, honestly, I love everything about this movie. And it's one of those that is, you know, it's in that category of flicks where it is just as fun to talk about it and to quote it. Yeah. As it is to watch the movie itself. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's This is one that, um, I mean, you know, I guess there are the haters out there that don't don't, uh, love this or whatever. But uh, if if it... um, if if you're the type of person who loves this, I can imagine having a great conversation. Uh, anytime you wanted to just spark up a conversation and be like, hey, have you seen Psycho Goreman? Uh, you got some stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah. And I can't wait to just share this movie with other people that haven't seen it. This is one of those ones that I'm legit excited to sit down with like let's air buddy old flat earth mitch true blood <laughs> i know he would love this movie and i just want to sit down with him and watch it after fucking pandemic and shit like that is over with i look forward to getting together with my friends and showing them this movie and then yeah again talking about it quoting it relentlessly for for years afterwards yeah for sure so yeah we we've already said uh uh to 10 out of 10 10 easy Perfect. yeah like awesome. I, I really i have a hard time thinking i'm gonna find a better movie this year like this is yeah easily it, at the top of the list yeah it pretty much uh nailed exactly what we needed so <laughs> way to go psycho Goreman. thank you for existing right now in this time no shit man yeah especially like you know coming out of the absolute fucking dumpster fire that was 2020 and right. then jumping right into the trash barrel fire that has been 2021 so far. (laughs) I really, really needed this. Like, I think the only thing that could have made this better is if my ass was in a theater watching this with a bunch of friends. That would have been really rad. Yeah. Right? Like, imagine if we got to see this in a theater and then go and drink beer and talk about it afterwards. Like, fuck. That's a very specific thing, by the way, that just hit me this week that, like, I was like, man... I really wish I could go watch a movie with friends and then go drink beer and talk about it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. It would be rad. That's a uh, specific vibe that just really hit me this week where I'm like, man, we're I not fucking far want off to do that. We're not, not far too off, man. far off. So yeah, keep, that's right. That's right. Keep it up. We're going to get there. That's right. Drugs, not hugs. Drugs, that's not hugs Do all your drugs. And then we'll eventually get to do hugs and then everybody going to be fucking. That's it, man. That's it. And then you need wombs to go after that. (laughs) Wombs to go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Steve, next week on the show, we're going to be doing a Patreon pick from the Smoking Bowl of Movies that we draw once a month. Tell me about that Smoking Bowl, Steve. Well, the Smoking Bowl is where we put the uh, movie submissions from our $5 Patreon patrons. You get to, if you are a $5 Patreon patron, submit a movie each month. 
and then we randomly draw from the bowl and then we review that movie here on the show uh that's right you, we do if you don't uh want to be a five dollar patron if you're like hey i don't want to choose uh what movies you do i just i just want to give you some money well guess what you become you a patron on yeah. any level and you get access to the patreon exclusive episodes of uh uh tv, TV test pilots that's right. what we call it where mm-hmm. we have thus far talked about the first episode of raising hope which i have watched in its entirety and now i'm watching with my wife uh yep. we talked about the boys and then this uh month we're going to be talking about the first episode of wandavision so that's right head on over there become a patron that's right you can get all that cool stuff even for just one buck a month so be sure to head on over to what's that what's that earl one more time patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely that's right head on over to that earl type it into your web browser and uh, sign up today. We would appreciate it. If you want to support the show but don't have a dollar paper to give, review this podcast wherever you can, whether that be Apple Podcast or whatever podcast app you use that lets you rate stuff. Be sure to go on there, give us a good rating and a hearty thumbs up, and that'll help us out more than you know. Maybe go uh, on Tinder. Just review us on Ooh, yeah. Tinder. Yeah, that's like, a great idea. If you match with somebody, just send them your review of us. See what happens. I think that's a smart plan. Maybe you get fucked, you know, or maybe you find out you wouldn't want to have sex with them. They're like, oh, I hate that show. So you're like, oh, they got bad taste. Or, you know, maybe you end up finding the the love of your life because somebody hits you up and they're like, oh, my God, I love this podcast. I also am into horror and nice things. And then you guys hit it off and you get married and have sex and babies. Let me consume your genitalia. Maybe that happened. You give that dick a warrior's death. Maybe that happens. <laughs> give that dick a warrior's death. That's awesome. right. Yeah. So the Patreon submission that yeah. you picked out of the bowl this week was... If you'd like to find out what movie it was, check the Patreon drawing video tomorrow. That is Thursday, March 25th. It'll be up on our social media and our YouTube page. So... Stay tuned. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. That one? That's the one. Can you believe it? How did we do it? Oh, I look forward to talking about that movie, which is one that you drew out of the smoking bowl. I can't believe it. I can or cannot. Yeah, maybe it's one that I can very much believe, and I'll be like, well, of course we're talking about that. Obviously. But we'll find out soon enough after you do that drawing and we find out what it is that we are doing. But I hope that you guys tune in to that episode and that we have a good old time together. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Huge thank you to Martin from Blitz Berlin for taking the time out of his day to hang out with us and shoot the shit about the soundtrack for this awesome movie. Hope everybody out there is doing super well and that you're going to tune in for next week's show. In the meantime, be sure to wash your hands. And your ass. And stay tuned for a new episode of Dead and Lovely coming at you with your good buddies Uncle Ben. And Hollywood Steve. We've been Dead and Lovely. Bye. Bye. So Ben, um, I I have talked about my my grandfather's passing a few times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the past past couple weeks.
And there's just one one little thing that I've omitted so far, and I, I really think enough time has passed that we can talk about this hilarious situation. So, my my grandfather was at a hospital here in Knoxville that that uh, Emily used to work at. Yeah. Long time ago, she sent me a picture, a text of uh, a guy who works there mm-hmm. at that hospital. And the fellow's name is Randy Tangle. <laughs> the old Randy Tingle, huh? Yeah, and we laughed and laughed about that name so much, and it was like an inside joke we would have. Like, yeah. you got that Randy Tingle? Um, <laughs> anyway, so we're standing in the room where my, my grandfather has been extubated and is uh, sure to decease. And um, in walks the chaplain, a uh, Mr. Randy Tingle. <gasps> there he is. And Emily and I both were like, oh, no. <laughs> Don't no. do it. Don't laugh. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is so not hard. a time to laugh. No. <laughs> oh, gosh. It was so funny, though. It was like one of those times where it's just like, this is the most inappropriate time to laugh, but this is a perfect time to have this happen because it was just like okay okay this is this is a good tension breaker because <laughs> <laughs> really you can have a bad time when randy tingle randy is present tingle. right <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absolutely like a male porn star name from the it 70s does. right like it, it has totally to be does. Uh, <laughs> it's just, he's just a man of the lord <laughs> on That's Sundays, amazing. but on Mondays, dick out, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> He's a freak. <laughs> Did anybody call a priest? <laughs> <laughs>